You know what I just watched? Return of the Jedi. What did you like better? Jedi or the Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. All, all Jedi had was a bunch of Muppets. There was something else going on in Jedi. You never noticed it till today. They build another Death Star, right? Yeah. Now, the first one was completed and fully operational before the Rebels destroyed it. Luke blew it up. Give credit where credit's due. And the second one was still being built when they blew it up. Compliments to Lando Calrissian. Something just never sat right with me that second time around. I could never put my finger on it, but something just wasn't right. And you figured it out. The first Death Star was manned by the Imperial Army. The only people on board were stormtroopers, dignitaries, Imperials. Basically. So when they blew it up, no problem. Evil's punished. And the second time around? The second time around, it wasn't even done being built yet. It was still under construction. So? So a construction job of that magnitude would require a hell of a lot more manpower than the Imperial Army had to offer. I bet they brought independent contractors in on that thing. Plumbers, aluminum siders, roofers. They're not just Imperials. Is that what you're getting at? Exactly. In order to get it built quickly and quietly, they'd hire anybody that can do the job. Think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. All right, so they're bringing independent contractors. Why are you so upset at its destruction? All those innocent contractors brought in to do the job were killed. Casualties of a war they had nothing to do with. All right, look. You're a roofer. Some juicy government contract comes your way. You got a wife and kids, the two-story in suburbia. This is a government contract, which means all sorts of benefits. Along come these left-wing militants and blast everything within a three-mile radius with their lasers. You didn't ask for that. You have no personal politics. You're just trying to scrape out a living. give you the punt. That was there. Because I, did, I completely forgot to bring in the Clerks DVD. We had the whole discussion yesterday with Kelsey about customer types, particularly at coffee uh, establishments. And so I meant to bring in that Clerks speech where they're talking about the various sorts of customers that always come into the video store and or to the quick stop. There's this thing where Dante's talking about the milkmaids where the women are always digging around looking for the mysterious milk that won't go bad for another five years. And then Randall is talking about the woman, you know, who always comes into the video store. Do you have that one movie with that guy who is in the movie with that with that person? Anyway, oh, Mini Trucker Magazine. Yeah, maybe tomorrow. Anyway, so there you go. There's uh, something else from the uh, Why, hello. It is seven minutes and fifteen seconds after the hour of eleven in this, the month of January, in the year of our Lord two thousand and nine. Thank you for coming along and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios at AM nine seventy. The Talker. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. Uh, it is Thursday, and welcome to Day 12. It's 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970, if you would like to uh, join us today. And why wouldn't you? It's uh, 503-733-2970. For your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, musings, ruminations, ponderings, uh, whatever. 503 503- Seven three three two nine seventy. You can also email if you like. It's Rick at RickEmerson.com. Rick at RickEmerson.com. Sarah at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Here's what's coming up in today's program. Lisa Desjardins will be uh, joining us from the Hill today as we talk about Because tonight is the, the, uh, the, the George Bush thing. It's your special night. Oh, it's going to be so great. I mean, it's probably not going to be great. Here's the, the, he's probably going to be crap. 
I mean, because he's, he's not going to say... Here's the thing about George W. Bush. It's not like he's finally going to just break down and cry tonight, Perry Mason style. You know, at the end, where, where Perry's just drilling some poor sap on the stand, and then suddenly somebody stands up in the gallery and goes, Enough! You, just, you have to stop! I confess I did it! I killed him! Uh, that's probably not going to happen. I mean, I'd like for it to, but it's not. So I would say that tonight's George W. Bush farewell speech... And I can't even believe that I'm saying it. I never thought it would actually happen as much as I wanted it's it to. It's weird to hear you even say, like, George W. Bush's farewell speech. I mean, seem true. I mean, I guess he's the president, so he can do whatever he wants. But you do almost have to ask, like, what is he thinking? Like, why? Don't get me wrong. I'm glad he's doing it. But you know what it is? George, here's the thing. George W. Bush speaking to the people tonight and giving a farewell is sort of like Chinese democracy coming up. Well, I guess, it's, I guess I'm excited about it, but I never really thought that it would ever transpire. And I know that, like Chinese democracy, Bush's farewell speech tonight is either going to be irritating or, or I'm just going to be indifferent to it. I mean, the actual content of it is almost pointless. I mean, it's, it's beside the... It doesn't even matter. It's just the fact that he's actually doing it. I wonder whose decision that ultimately was. If it was just his, if he just said, screw it, I'm doing it and you can't stop me. Or if somebody around him actually... I mean, but I guess, what do they, what do they really care at this point? His approval rating's like two. So, I mean, I mean, I guess it can only somehow get better. Well, whatever. Anyway, so uh, so that's tonight at, um, Jesus, what the hell? Do, I don't even know what it is. Oh, it's 5 o'clock Eastern. Uh, I'm not even going to be home. Well, i got to set my TiVo, obviously. All right. Thanks for that. I can do that online. No, no, no. Well, it says, cover. well, I don't know. Now. 5 o'clock Eastern, which means it's at 2? Coverage begins. I'm looking here at the CNN thing. It says, coverage begins at 8 o'clock Eastern on Newslink. Okay, but I bet that's coverage, maybe not the actual speech. Do we know when the actual speech is tonight? Anyone? I say looking at Richie for no reason. Sarah, do you know the actual speech is? I was under the impression it was only at like 6. Are you just making that up? No, because I'm, I'm going over to Lisa Woods to watch it, and I think that was Really? Fine. Oh, yeah. Good for you. No, that's right. what, I mean, that's where I watched every single debate, so that's I figure wonderful. I might as well you know, round out the season with it. Oh, yeah. See, and that's what it is, right? It's the season finale of a show you quit caring about. That is exactly it. That's totally what it is. It's the series finale of something you stopped watching like two seasons back. All right. It's like the uh, Roseanne finale. Well, great. So we'll talk to Lisa Desjardins about that. Uh, Cena Radio correspondent Steve Kastenbaum will join us today uh, from New York City. And I'm going to promise in advance not to become irritated about this story. Steve Kastenbaum, he's talking about that Bernie Madoff guy, which I guess is less interesting now. So let's all uh, gird our loins here and brace ourselves. Steve Kastenbaum will be talking about... It's funny because I was just having this discussion with Tony Howard uh, at the Hell's Bell show the other night. We were talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I told him that the story comes out every year, and actually starting in around 2005, first I pledged not to talk about it because it just makes me too angry. But then I decided that I have to talk about it because it is a story, but I just, I just sort of made this agreement within myself, my own personal four agreements, that I was just not going to become annoyed by it. Um, so the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions are now sort of like this George W. Bush farewell speech. In the, we'll talk about it because I guess it's kind of interesting and it is news, but I just have no personal investment. I have no emotional investment in it whatsoever. Uh, so we will uh, announce the Rock and Roll Hall of uh, Fame inductees for 2009. Blah, 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 blah. So that's coming up. Um, and then uh, later on today, seeing a radio correspondent, James Roop, who's talking about three fantastic stories, and I'm going to get all three of them uh, done today. One, uh, Ricardo Montalban, of course, he's, he passed away. We had that yesterday. He has this great story about secondhand smoke, but neither of those stories are as interesting as the third story that Jim Roop is discussing today. And it's so great that I actually came down the stairs and I walked into the studio and I handed the prep sheet to Sarah without even having circled anything. Because what happens every day is I print out this sheet from CNN that says who's talking and like what they're talking about and where they are. 
and I'll sort of circle the person and the story, and then we'll figure out the time that they're going to be on. So, like I will say, you know, Lisa Desjardins, George Bush farewell speech, 11.30 a.m. I came in today, and having done that, I just shoved the thing at there, and I'm like, look, look at this! Because uh, Jim Roop is talking about, yes, that Britney Spears song that they've released. And I think there's all, I think the, the, all of this sort of, the alleged controversy about it is all manufactured by Britney's record label. Which is sort of my read on the situation. But I heard, and again, there's something, you know what it is? I think that this is some weird sort of, um, I think this is like that Adam Sandler movie where they're telling bedtime stories and then they make it come true somewhere. I think by talking about things on this program, we make them happen. Because when that Britney Spears record came out, the first thing, like it, was, like it hadn't even been out in like a day, and I was telling everybody I know, I'm like, oh, this song, this, 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 this Seeking Amy song, uh, it's going to be the one that everybody talks about. It's going to be the big single from the record. It's going to be the thing that everybody is discussing. And just yesterday... Chris Paddock and Susan Reynolds were hanging in my office. We were talking about something or other. And then I started talking about I had the Britney Spears record just kind of going on my MP3 player and, you know, just in my office, just in the background. And I was talking about this Britney Spears song and how were they ever going to be able to play it on the radio and were they ever going to be able to release it as a single without editing it down so much that it just defeated the purpose. Um, and I just heard today the radio edit of the song, which is retarded. I mean, it's just ludicrous. But I guess, so Jim is talking, I'll just read you the slug here. It says, the latest release off of Britney Spears' latest album is causing quite a controversy and a headache for program directors at radio stations. CNN's Jim Roop reports the song. Okay, now listen to this now. In the CNN prep sheet, they have actually used the full name of the song, and I wonder if they're using that in the audio reports. Because I almost read it off the page. CNN's Jim Roop reports that the Britney Spears song, Mm-mm-mm, Amy, doesn't include profanity, but spells trouble for radio stations. Huh. That's so weird that they actually put the full title on the prep sheet. That's really weird. Because I, I very nearly read it out loud, which would have been bad. All right, anyway, so I got the radio edit, though. I have the edited version of the song that uh, the radio stations are playing, so we've got that. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, our good friend Chuck Knopp. Uh, stepping in to do news today. He'll be uh, joining us uh, beginning at uh, 12 p.m. today. So Chuck was here a couple weeks ago. We'll have him uh, back in today. Of course, as we proceed uh, from there today, we are having a series of laid-off Portland media professionals filling in for laid-off Portland media professional Tim Riley. Uh, tomorrow, 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 only a day away. Tomorrow, uh, Lisa Hughes, who, um, among other things, used to actually share the screen with our good friend Richard Nunn. Uh, so uh, she has uh, graced Portland Televisions. Next week, uh, let's see, next week, uh, fine folks, including Darcy Zettler, who is at, uh, uh, at PDX 49 until very recently. Uh, so she'll be here next week. Let's see, what else? Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer today. Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, kind of a sad geek watch. I was kinda, I'm kind of, I'm bummed out by it. The geek watch today is sort of a downer. I'll tell you right now, it's a, it's a bit of a buzzkill. Not as, not as Somebody much. Somebody die? Well, not yet, not officially. I mean, they haven't admitted it yet. Oh. Uh, anyway, everybody, and if you if you saw the geek, you know, if you've been following the tech news the last day or two, you know what I'm talking about. So, anyway, so that sucks, but we'll get to it later. What can you do? Uh, and we're joined today, as always, by the uh, lovely and talented Sarah Stillman. Hello, how are you today? Hello. Well, you talking about that made me think, I'm like, we had that story a few days ago where Patrick Swayze checked in with the no- pneumonia. So yes. Like, oh. Yeah, no, it's not him. It's not, not Patrick. No, because... we haven't heard from him in a few days. That's not probably a good sign. <laughs> Patrick Swayze is one of those guys where he needs to kind of like he needs to sort of wave a hand every every so often, let you know he's still alive. Yeah, because I, I was know. looking on uh, Facebook or something, and there's an ad for you know his new show, The Beast, and I saw Patrick Swayze. I'm like, oh, because they just started filming it. And Does he look bad? 
No, he doesn't look bad, but I know that it's a new show and they just started it. Wait, what is the cancer he has? Uh... What what I forget exactly what the nature of the uh, I can't remember he has some sort of like pancreatic or something. What is the cancer? Cancer? I barely knew her. What kind of cancer is it? Do we know, Richie? Bad. It's the bad. Thank you. It's not the good cancer. <laughs> good cancer is like good cholesterol. Is the cancer a sign? And I'm sorry. Cancer is a sign of like an astrological sign. You know, sometimes I don't feel like you're even really opening your mouth when you talk. It's like you're sort of just exuding like, sounds out like of your you've nose. you've worked in radio for years that you don't still no, don't know how to talk on a mic. Because, you know, oh, the yeah. microphone has got to be in like, front so of your anyway, mouth. So here I am. Well, it's Morty. You know, you know, when you talk on the microphone sometimes, it's like when I, I saw Ace Fraley. This is years before the Kiss reunion. I saw Ace Fraley play at this little tiny club, uh, but, you know, when he was just sort of out on his own and... It, you know, it was kind of great, kind of sad. There was only like 15 people there. But, you know, you kind of got to get up close and personal and see him. But Ace Frehley, I'm not saying he was drunk off his ass, but I suspect that he was. Because Ace Frehley, you know, he's a guitar player and he sort of sings, but he's typically a guitar player and it was often uh, just plastered. And so I saw Ace, and he would do... Ace Frehley would treat the microphone the same way that you do, Richie. Where he would be singing, but it's like he would sort of just... And again, a guy who'd been working on stage and performing just for like two decades, but he would just forget that he had to actually be on the microphone to be heard. So Ace Frehley would be singing and we'd go, uh, and he would start to, you know, shock me, baby. And he would be walking back and forth and the mic would only get him as he was passing it. So, anyway. Okay, I'm what, right here. What were you saying, Richie, about wow. Patrick Swayze and cancer? Oh, isn't uh, cancer an astrological sign or something? Let me. You really are no help. Let no, me revise this. Do you have something thing. to say that is not useless? <laughs> well, you said there's not a good, like there's a good type of cancer, and I was thinking the only good. You type. should wait and maybe have some coffee before you weigh in anymore. Oh, yeah, right. coffee. Well, even. Uh, I thought it was like pancreatic or something. I think it's pancreatic. Yeah, cancer. something something very bad. I do believe that pancreatic and liver cancers are among the worst you can get. Not like can like is it not like any cancer there, but if like you get a cancer of the elbow or something, that's probably not going to kill you right away. Although the thing, can let me ask you this? Here's the thing that kind of weirds me out. Um, is there a certain kind of cancer that you find to be more intimidating than all the others? Anyone? I don't know, they're all kind of scary. See, brain cancer you don't want. But then I think about skin cancer. Skin cancer is kind of weird. Because My dad had skin cancer. See, that's a bit... See, that's a bit he had to have, wear, like, this, uh, put on this weird lotion stuff that would like burn off the that's top layers like, of his skin. Like a thing that would burn the cancer Seriously, away. Seriously, he looked like, he, like he, someone put a blowtorch on his face. Really? Mm-hmm. That's not good. He has to do it like uh, probably like once every couple of years. He just, just to make sure that it stays away? Yeah, so he puts on the stuff on his face and then like because he's bald so he has, and he has it on his head too and right. like all the skin peels off. See, skin cancer is weird because you would think that it would be easily treatable because they just, I mean, not to be gross, but it's like you got skin cancer on your arm. You know, they just come and they just uh, peel it off. You know, they slice it away or whatever. And yet, but they, but, they, so, but they talk about skin cancer as though, I mean, not as though, I guess it is like this incredibly lethal kind of cancer. Which sort of, cancer is just uh, freaky to me because I have no idea how it works. It's just mystifying. I mean, it's that combination of lethal and confusing. All right. And he has to burn it off of his skin. That's no good. Yeah, so, yeah, so like, um, like once every couple of years during the summer, he just looks totally scary. And he knows it. But, I mean, like, his face is just all red and, like, you know, flaky. And well, that's no good. It's no good. But, you know what? If it keeps him cancer-free, I'm all for it. Well, no, I'm for whatever. I'm for whatever keeps the cancer I know I'm going to have cancer, cancer on my nose. You just sort of, why? Because I always, I've sunburned it my entire life. And, I, um, and do you jab at it? No, because I've sunburned it my entire life, and I'm totally pasty, you know that. Oh, yeah. And, I, um, like, every year I get more and more freckles on it. Hey, can I tell you this? Would you like to know exactly how vain I am? 
Um, speaking of this is, and I really I can tie this into cancer, by the way. So this, if you've ever been asking yourself, sitting around the house and maybe saying to yourself, by God, I wonder how vain and image obsessed Rick Emerson is. I mean, exactly how neurotic is he in terms of his own personal appearance? Here's the line of demarcation. Uh, when you pass this, this is how you know that you really do have some sort of weird that you that you are in fact more vain than you really ought to be. So. During the winter sometimes, and this winter it seems to be particular. It's like a particularly dry winter outside. But my I get hand, the, I wake uh, up every day. I don't usually have to put on lotion, but I put lotion on my hands. See, that, and I don't know, if, Richie, I don't know if that happens to you too, but same thing with me where I get that my knuckles will crack. And I'm not trying to be gross, but you know what I mean. You, like your skin gets dry, and then it's, sometimes it's your hands or your elbows or like your face where your skin will get really dry during the winter time. And Which is strange because wouldn't it seem like it would happen during the summer that your hands would get really dry because it's all hot and sunshiny? But instead it's the winter time. And so, like my like my knuckles, for example, will get the, will get really dry, and I got to be putting the hand lotion on. But of course, it's not just your hands. And I don't know if this is just me, but during the winter time, uh, when I get the dry skin, I'll get like uh, dandruff, you know. And of course, no one would one doesn't wish to have dandruff. Ew, you get dandruff. Ew. I'm just saying, because as because as commercials from the 80s have uh, have shown us, if you have dandruff, then no one will ever talk to you ever, ever, ever. So you know, because you I've get never the... had dandruff, but I've like burned my scalp. Well, because same thing, but it's like you know, when you get dry skin in your hands. It's like that your scalp just gets kind of dry, and so it just you know, you get like little you know dandruff flakes, and so so it's like I know I wanted to you know sort of get rid of that because I don't wish to offend or to be hideous in any way. Uh, so going to the store, and I tried just the regular off-the-shelf, you know, whatever, like, the dandruff stuff is. And, you know, didn't really work. My scalp kind of continued to be a little dry. So what do I do? I immediately skip to just the nuclear option. I just find, like, the most expensive dandruff shampoo on the shelf. I'm like, I'll just take that one. And so I'm standing in line at the checkout counter, and I'm reading the back, and this is... I wish I'd brought the box in so you could see this. So I'm standing in line at the checkout counter, and I'm looking at the back of this shampoo that I bought to kind of treat my dry scalp. And I swear to God, it actually says, this product contains chemicals known to cause cancer. Wow. And yet, but did I put it back? I thought, well, no. I mean, if, if this product gives you cancer, then it must work. I mean, it's got to be effective, right? I mean, really, if they're going to be stocking something on the shelf that they know just gives you cancer, it must be because it really does the job. And here's the other thing about it, is it actually says, just in California, it says, this product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer. So, I mean, maybe it only causes cancer if you've got, like, if it, maybe it's like one of those things where it's, it takes another ingredient to make it carcinogenic. So maybe it's got to interact with smog, perhaps. <laughs> anyway, so I went home that night, and I was just, put it on my head, and the, the whole, you know, it's, it's just shampoo, but I'm putting it on, and it's, you know, like, put on, leave, leave on scalp for 60 seconds, then rinse away. And so as I'm putting it on, I'm just imagining like the cancer seeping seeping into my brain. But I still felt good about it because I thought, as Lara said, uh, and I think she was trying to be sarcastic, but she said, you know, you'll have a flake-free coffin. And I said, yes, I will. So there you go. So if you've ever asked yourself, am I too vain? The question you have to then follow up with is, did you in fact put something on your scalp that says in big letters, this will give you cancer because you didn't want to have dry scalp? The end. I could have lived my whole life without knowing that story. Wait, the cancer part or the dry scalp part? The dry scalp. Oh, like you're... Uh, come on. Everybody's... You, look, I know that some of us might be flawless. I've just said that the Rick Emerson is not that person. I dandruff has always kind of grossed me out. Well, nobody... It just looks like it smells bad. Well, it doesn't... Do your hands... <laughs> do you have... Do you say you get dry hands? I'm not saying I smell good. Do your hands smell bad? 
Not right now. That's okay. It's just it's just dry skin. I don't wish to. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get rid of it. I'm just saying it's just a thing. So did it work? Don't make me no more neurotic. <laughs> uh, what? Did it work? Well, I don't have cancer yet, and uh, and I seem to be flake free at the moment. So yes, <laughs> maybe it just gives cancer to the uh, to the dandruff. I think it gives crazy. Yes, it does. Hey, uh, we have to break, but I'm going to play you 10 seconds or something. Listen to this. Hola, soy Vince Conchen. Wow, estarás diciendo wow cada vez que usas este toalla. There you go. That's fantastic. Oh, it's the best day ever. More of that later. All right. Uh, well, we've got calls to get to around the corner. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Now, flick free. Hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. So sometime that is not like the very end of the show in the 2 o'clock hour today, uh, we got to uh, we got to play the slap chop thing. Well, yes, at least I still haven't heard that whole thing. The whole thing, and then I got the whole thing in Spanish, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I'm just reading about that the Vince guy from ShamWow, and he just sounds insane. I'm looking at his Wikipedia page. Yeah. Now, about every 12 years, there's somebody like him who comes along, one of those infomercial pitch men. Because they burn out fairly quickly. You see them, they'll, they'll pimp like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine things in a row, and then they just sort of vanish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's always a guy kind of like that. It was a lot of manic energy. You won't remember this, but in the 80s, there was this guy, and I think he, in the States, I think he only did a couple of things. The, the thing he was really well known for was Energizer Batteries. And he was this guy from Australia, and his name was Jacko. And Jacko was this big kind of like, he looked like a real-life Popeye. He was like this huge roided-out guy with a flat top and spiky blonde hair. And he would and he sort of, you know, and he would always end everything with like, you know, oi! And then he would like punch his fist through a wall. And he was kind of entertaining, but after a while he became a little fatiguing because he was always, like you got the feeling he was always about to jump out of the television at you. And this, the Vince, the sham wow guy, the... Uh, so events called Sham Wow. That guy, he has a little bit of the same thing going on. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Radio Program. CNN Radio Correspondent to the Stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello, how are you today? Hello, how are you? I am, uh, I'm fantastic. I'm awesome. Let me ask you this, how do you feel about the Sham Wow? Yeah, you know, I haven't really thought about it. I, I don't know, I kind of... Um... Do you know what the ShamWow is? Are you bluffing right now? No, no, I've, I have seen the infomercials, the ShamWow infomercials. Right. I'm very skeptical. In in what sense? Um, I'm, I'm skeptical of that guy, first of all, the front man of this ShamWow, because he's got like a million, he's like, he's got the, you know, they'll take, I've got this goo product now, now I've got this jewel product. He is that, well, because... Yeah, he... we were just talking about him, he seems really like... Cracky and a bit. Yeah, he's, he's, he, and I almost see, I think I would believe in the ShamWow maybe, except for that guy who just, just any you know any little thing. He's 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 on it. He's got this the ShamWow, and then the new thing is the slap chop. Um, yeah, I, I, this I don't know about. Oh, let me play you just a, just the tiniest bit of this. So the slap chop, and everybody has sort of made the same observation about this. The slap chop is this. It is a uh, you know it's a thing it's a thing to chop up like uh, foodstuffs for cooking. And it's that thing that I think they've had since about the 60s where it's a plastic, it's, you know, it's just a cylinder that has a little plunger on the bottom. You put it on the counter and you put the cylinder over like a mushroom and then you hit the plunger three or four times and it chops up the mushroom inside the plastic cylinder. 
Uh, and it keeps it all right there. And here's just a little bit of the... Uh... Hi, it's Fitz with Slap Chop. You're going to be in a great mood all day because you're going to be slapping your troubles away with the Slap Chop. Now look. So there you go right there. But here's the best part about it. This is really the money line from the whole thing. Is that at a certain point, without any sort of setup and with no introduction or context... He says, you're going to love my nuts. And then he goes right into chopping up a bunch of walnuts on the counter. It's all worth it just for that moment, Lisa. I, I'm going to have to check it out. I realize at this point of the conversation that I, and I think I can include Sarah uh, in this, that I'm much more an aficionado of infomercials or lengthy product pitches on television than perhaps the average person. And by average person, I mean you in this context. So <laughs> yeah. sorry about well, that. I think that. I think that that is for sure. And I've known this since you've talked. Were you the one talking about the knife guy? Yes. 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 I love the knife guy. I still haven't, I still haven't seen. You've, and now, did I ever play you any of his, his audio? Um, you know what? Here, here's the deal. Here's where I've got to fess up for, for the last couple of times that, that you've played audio, I actually haven't heard it. Could you hear what he, he now, were the you, nuts thing? Yeah, could you hear what I was just playing now? No. Oh, for the love of God, Lisa. Lisa. You have to be honest. Well, you know, I felt like, hey, the audience here, you know, and I kind of, you know, I, I gave a little awkward laughter to kind of make it a little awkward. What am know? I thinking right now? <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I'll try it again, Rick. Can you hear this? You're gonna love my nuts. That I heard. Now I oh, there you go. Long... Okay, there so you go. okay. Here's here's the thing. Can we just have an agreement between you know? Can we, Lisa? Can there be an understanding between us going forward? If I try to play audio for you, you don't hear it. You got to tell me that. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Here's for like the following nine reasons. One. <laughs> Because otherwise you're going to have to fake respond. How do you know I'm not playing it? Is it Lisa sucks? And then you go, oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, no, well, I didn't actually say anything. I was just like, ha <laughs> Yeah. Also, because yeah. it just uh, it blunts uh, any uh, it blunts any conversation or comedy we might be yeah, able yeah, to, no, uh, to that, bring that, out of it. That you've got. You have a point there. That's true. Although what I've done in the past, but I couldn't do it here, is that I've I've quickly like done the Google search on whatever it is you're talking about, so that I could find, like for instance, um, when we were talking about. Uh, New Year's CNN's New Year's Eve show. Oh, I the had, Kathy Griffin had, thing. Yeah, I had to quickly make sure that I was thinking of the right soundbite, even though I, I was pretty sure that I was. So I was quickly googling to make sure there wasn't any other soundbite as you were playing the soundbite, and then I and then I knew I could tell from what you were saying and what you what you were talking about. This so. is like when I put the. Uh... You know what? I'm gonna go to your job and knock the d out of your mouth. That right there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here's uh, like the third reason you got to tell me that, uh, because if you don't. Then from that, uh, I just infer that there is no trust in this relationship. Oh, no, no. I mean, look, friends can be honest with one another, Lisa. Okay. But, uh, you know, I just don't want to waste everybody's time being like, fourth, I can't hear it. Can you speak up? Yeah, I, I, you know. Fourth and or D, you got to tell me because, I mean, uh, how do I put this? Because... Though we do love you and you are, you know, you hold a special place in our hearts. You know, we have other people that come on the show via the phone from time to time, uh, like, right. like, you know, every day. And if you don't tell us, and you're usually the first person we talk to the, uh, telephonically. Okay, okay. You, you are the first person in the show every day to be on the phone because, like, we'll talk to Steve, like, later or Jim right. Roop or, you know, the, the, the National Enquirer or somebody. But you're usually the first guest every single day on the phone. And if something is broken and you know it and don't tell us, then what you basically do is you open me up to looking, uh, you know, like <laughs> okay. a goofball in front of everybody else later on. Okay, you got, we got a deal. It's a, it's a deal. All right. So I'm, 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 I'm sorry. So just to recap very quickly, yes. the guy who was pitching the Sham Wow now pitches <laughs> the Slap Chop, which opens with this. Hi, it fits with Slap Chop. You're going to be in a great mood all day because you're going to be slapping your troubles away with the Slap Chop. Now look. And, <laughs> 
and then for no reason goes to, you're going to love my nuts, later on, <laughs> and so forth. And so you probably have still never heard the knife guy. Uh, I don't know. I, I went online and heard him. I heard, I heard him. Mm -hmm. I went home and watched him. Yeah. Like all on right. YouTube. Well, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, all right. So, uh, well, I'm let's... just a big poser. I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm just saying. I mean, look, I understand exactly now uh, that we do we don't have the kind of relationship that I that I think everybody probably no, thought that no. we had. That's fine. So, right? Well, no. Here, here, here is the difference. Is mm -hmm. I'm actually telling you this right. now, and versus you know probably no other station in the country would I actually ever have admitted. I haven't heard anything for a couple weeks now. Uh, you know, this is like if I had a big piece of broccoli between my teeth, and you just decided not to <laughs> tell me about that, and then I went through the rest of the day looking like a tool. I'm just saying. I would eventually tell you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure somebody would point it out. I'm sure Amanda Moyer would eventually tell me that I have broccoli between my teeth. That's Mike, okay. It's true. It's true. Well, let's well let's move on to something oh, else. Uh, uh, hey, so, so yeah, we got a lot of news going on here in uh, the District of Columbia. So what? I got two things that I want to yeah. right off the bat here. First of all, what time is George W. Bush actually speaking? Uh, 5 p.m. your time. So it is 5 p.m. our time that his actual speech begins. Yes. Well, it's 5.01.30, I think, is when it is. All right. So here's my question to you. Yeah. Is this ultimately his, was this ultimately his decision? Did somebody around him say, like, this was a good idea? <laughs> right. It's actually a body double. Right. Uh you know, we don't know. It, 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 the way they're portraying it as, is that he wanted to do it. He wanted to have kind of a last moment with the American people. And that he, the way his press secretary uh, talks about it, she says that it's going to be very reflective, very thoughtful, uh, that he will defend his record. But, and, and what I thought was a fantastic line yesterday, uh, Dana Perino said, uh, this isn't going to be about him having a swan song. Mm -hmm. This is going to be about what's looking forward, which, which is really just a what fantastic is, quote. To what is he looking forward? Apparently, she also uses the phrase, lessons learned. Uh -huh. So, I don't know, he probably is going to say something about um, how it's a very tough time for Americans, but he believes in, that American, America can come through it. Uh, you know, I, I, it's hard to say how exactly he'll explain everything or if he will try. Uh -huh. But lately in his interviews, what the president has been doing is acknowledging, you know, his, some mistakes, you know, like, oh, the weapons of mass destruction, for example, but then immediately following up, kind of trying to be Mr., you know, Mr. Ranch laid back, yeah, but, yeah, you know, I, I was mad about that, too, you know, kind of trying to relate on, the, uh, to, on those mistakes and then follow up and try and say, but, you know, I think I did the right thing overall in, in trying to protect the American people and in, in, in making every decision, uh, you know, security and protection was my priority. So I would expect him to say that. I, I don't know if he will outright say there have been no terrorist attacks on American soil since 9-11, but, but I think he will come very close to saying that or imply it. I think that that is something he is going to try to point to in some way. By the way, just uh, I'm going to say I was watching that uh, his final press conference that he held the other day. Right. The best part is at one point when he was talking about, um, you know, how sort of to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, you know, mistakes were made. But he and and he was talking about, you know, the the uh, the the hurricane in New Orleans where, you know, like everybody was just sort of sitting there, like having to eat their next door neighbor, waiting for helicopters to come and, you know, and weapons of mass destruction and broken economy and three trillion dollar war and whatever. And then he followed it all up by saying, but you know what? Even during those times, the job of president is just so exciting. I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> And I don't think you necessarily want to follow up talking about, like, 
failed economy, failed hurricane rescue, failed war by talking about it. But you know what? This job is really exciting. Because I think that's, you know what it is? It's like the good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. This is the bad exciting that we're, that we're having right now. This isn't the good exciting. He had a fantastic soundbite. You're right where he was talking about Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. And he said it in a way that you were like, you know what? He really believed this because he was starting to get a little mad about it. And he was like, we rescued 30,000 people off the rooftops. You know, within, I don't know, a day or two. Yeah, the, I think but, that's uh, that's made up. That's not yeah, like true. He, he said, so don't tell me. He's like, that was a pretty fast response. You know, it just, and meanwhile, everyone else who's listening to this is thinking about all of the people stuck, you know, in oh, uh-huh. New Orleans Convention Center, <laughs> people so, dying so, elsewhere. So my question to you is, to whatever extent you can maybe yeah. speculate on this, I mean, I know that he's a little bit insulated, and that's probably an understatement because he's the president. But I mean, does he? Do you suppose that George W. Bush? Do you do you think he just doesn't? I hate to say doesn't get it because that's such a cliche; it doesn't mean anything. But do you, do you think he just doesn't grasp exactly how much almost everyone in the country, at least according to polls, just doesn't just just wants him to be to, to be gone. I mean, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. That every he's going to be, no no no. I'm going to give my final speech. Like in his head, do you think that we're all going? That no no no. Our leader is going to speak one final time. Let us share this this last moment with him. Gather round. Do, do you think he doesn't understand that everybody is just like for the love of God? Can just next week cannot come soon enough. I truly don't know. I I do think he doesn't understand the depth um, of. Uh, the fa- of how much Americans blame him for any number of very serious problems in their day-to-day lives and in of the fate of the world. But I, I think that he is surrounded by people who are incredibly loyal. You know, he came in, we knew that was a hallmark, that he brings in people who are very loyal and who believe in him. And, and he is surrounded by people who believe that, you know, um, sort of like a, maybe even the, the idea of, you know, a prophet is never loved by his own people. You know, I think the people around him see him that way as a man who has made very tough, very unpopular choices, but he did it, you know, to try and save his country, and, and he did protect this country, and there haven't been terrorist attacks. And, you know, there were a lot of sacrifices in order to do that, and there were mistakes. But you know what? He's not perfect, but he did it to protect our country, and my kids have been safe these last eight years. And I think that is what they believe, and I think those are the people around him, and I think that is what he himself believes. So I think it's almost like a kind of a, a, a bulletproof cloak, you know, around him that he does, he sees the data, he knows the polls are bad, but he they bounce off of him to some degree. I think it's starting to filter in, though. You can hear in his language that he's kind of like, yeah, that wasn't so good, you know, he's... <laughs> He's starting to finally admit that that there were some very grave mistakes. It's it really is kind of astounding when you think about where we were as a country with George W. Bush in 2004, as compared to now. Because I mean, whether whether you voted for him or not, I mean, in 2004 he was. I mean, his approval ratings were were great. I mean, they were sky high. And I remember seeing him at that 2004 uh, at the Republican convention, and. Just the production values were huge and just the, the massive, and the whole thing was just, I mean, the advanced team there just did such a phenomenal job, and he was, you know, it, especially for the bar being set where it is with that guy, his speech was, was great, very well delivered, and he just, I mean, he just seemed like to, you know, as Travis Tripp might say, he just seemed to be uh, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And it's weird that he just has completely, you know what it is? He's like the, um, he's like the guy who loses, the character who loses his superpowers. You know what I mean? Where, like, Superman is exposed to... Um, 
It's where it's like when Superman is exposed to gold kryptonite, uh, Lisa. Gold kryptonite, which yeah. it removes all of his, uh, which removes all of his Kryptonian abilities, doesn't kill him outright. Just removes all of his superpowers, and then he's just like a weak human in front of you. That's kind of what's happened to George W. Bush. He's just, he, it's like he's like a turtle without his shell the last year or so. Well, you know, when he was finally asked, you know, how do you really deal with the fact that you are so incredibly unpopular? And I, I think his response to that was something like, well, you know. How, how could I go back to Texas, you know, with my head held high, you know, if I didn't believe that I had done the best thing for my country, you know, and but it was almost like the way he phrased it was sort of like he hadn't quite decided that he is going back to Texas right. with his head held high. So it was this kind of subjunct, subjunctive phrasing that was a little um, awkward. Final, so, thing, so we'll see. final thing on George W. Bush, uh, in, in your estimation, is there one phrase he is guaranteed to use tonight? And my fellow Americans and God bless America don't count. Okay, one phrase he's guaranteed to use. Uh, man, I would a year ago I would have said way forward for mm -hmm. sure, and yeah. he, he may still pull that out. You know that I think Americans can find the way forward. Um, I think he's going to try and steal a little Obama with the hope, and uh, you know blessings that kind of thing. May throw a little God in there. All right. What if he yeah, does think something? Of one phrase. You got you got something? What if he does something horrible? If he says something along the lines of his presidency and says something like mission accomplished? No, he won't do that. He's never going to use that phrase ever again. Oh, oh no, he's, that, he's that phrase has been stricken. <laughs> That, yeah, yeah, I would love it if, if we get, and there's so many, it is a story on this, there's so many different George Bushes, but I really hope we get the, like, the kind of double thumbs up George Bush tonight. The sort of, like, everything's going to be dandy. Come on, guys. Morning yeah. in America. Hey, you know, I'm joking with the cameraman a little bit. There you can't see him, but there's a cameraman over there. He's got a funny shirt. <laughs> You know, like that that kind of George Bush, I don't think that's where you get, but I, I would personally like that. Excellent. Uh, one final question, I say, using up every single minute of your time today. Uh so this business of uh, Obama already, it's like he's not even the president. He's already having some ground fight about this $350 billion that he says he wants. Um, yeah. And I asked my wife this last night because I, it, I hate to say this, but the CNN coverage last night didn't do anything to, to explain this. They, it was really? so completely... It was so completely um, vague, or maybe I'm just a it way too. I feel like we're the what I've seen on CNN is really tiny bouncing ball type stuff that you're like, what? What does that mean? I, so this one guy said this, and what? Well, what? what I was trying to figure out last night is they're already so this this end this is going to be the first big test of the Obama presidency that he wants this 350 mm -hmm. billion, and some Republicans are saying no, and it's like he's already even though he's not president, he's saying he's going to veto any bill that doesn't give him the money or whatever. And I turned to my wife and I said. I asked Laura, I said, is this, now, is this $350 billion part of the $700 billion? And she said, she said, honestly, I have no idea. Oh, it's such a mess. It is. It's part of that original, uh, way back in the fall, $700 billion. It's the, it's the last half of that. And the deal is that Congress, um, Congress has to vote to stop it. So they, they, if Congress doesn't vote, then the money will end up uh, in the Treasury, or they can use it. But Congress can vote to stop it and prevent it. And then, of course, if they do, the weird thing is with the you can have a double negative where let's say they vote to stop it, then President would be President Obama can veto the, the rejection of that money and make it flow anyway. So, it, you know, I'm not sure this is I don't I don't see this as the first real big Obama test. This is more of a test of um, whether uh of where the American public is with all of these bailouts and the fact that all of these senators and congressmen have been hearing it for months and they, they're, they're squeamish still about 
passing money that's going to go to the banks, because this is still that big banking bill, that $700 billion for the banks, essentially, though some would probably go to help mortgages and stuff. Well, and nobody knows where the first $350 billion right. even and went. That's, that's what this is about. And and the fact is that, you know, Obama's Treasury Secretary has got his own problems now. Oh, what is up with... confirmed. So, you know, they're not... Congress just isn't sure. They want more details. I think the first real test of Obama is going to be his big, giant economic spending plan, you know, that's going to build bridges and roads and do all that stuff. That That is his vision. This this money, which may overlap with that a little, is not clear yet, but this money is, is, a, is a different kettle of fish, I think. Uh, for the love of God, let me just add this one final thing. So I completely forgot about this. So this guy, uh, Geithner, Gettner? Gertner? Yeah, Tim Geithner. Whatever. Tim Geithner. He's going to be the Treasury Secretary, and then it turns out he didn't pay like $35,000 in How taxes. It? How about it? Did you see, I, I cannot even believe I'm going to say this, and this is, I'm not paraphrasing, did you see where Barack Obama, and again, this is the guy that they want to run the Treasury, yeah. who did not pay $35,000 in taxes. Did you see where Barack Obama said, no, 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 that's an innocent mistake. Yeah, you know that's not innocent. He's guilty of not paying taxes. Guilty is the opposite of innocent. He did not pay taxes, and it wasn't you know a one-time thing. You know it was repeated. And the the, the I think the real kind of smoking pen on this is that uh, it, you know he did pay those back taxes just a couple of days before he was announced as Treasury Secretary. And and we know from sources here at the Senate that Republicans found out about this, Republicans uh -huh. um, on the committee, and they they agreed. The Obama people said, listen, please do us a favor and don't bring this up. We think this is the man. We think he's the best candidate. Right. And the Republicans agreed, and now they feel like idiots because it, the Obama people, they think, are the ones who ended up uh. kind of leaking this by accident. So the Republicans are furious. It's just insane. They, they how, made a deal, and they, they actually sided with him, and now now they look like How can you be the guy who wants to run the Treasury and you didn't pay $35,000 of your own taxes? Well, you know, you hear Obama's argument is that, you know, most of us, our taxes are deducted from each paycheck, uh -huh. and that when Tim Geithner was with the International Monetary Fund, kind of, you know, interesting name, um, that he his taxes weren't deducted from his payroll, and that he was supposed to do it himself, and I guess they've never said that he did didn't realize they weren't deducted, but that, that it's a, they're saying it's a different situation when you when they're not automatically deducted. You know, H and R Block is like right down the street. It's true. It is. You pick up the phone, you can yeah. get a guy to do your taxes for like you know for like twenty bucks an hour. Yeah, and when you're when you're actually you know a banker as well, like and you're Jesus. kind of in the business of accounting and finance, it's it's a tougher. Seriously, spell. I just it's not I, like Britney Spears. No, yeah. Washing my hands of the whole thing. I really am. It's, All right. It's, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's amazing how Democrats just are, it, it's become the first real partisan case, I think, here, where Democrats are saying, oh, it's not a big deal, not a big deal. And, you know, you kind of want to say to them, give me a break. You know, let's be a little more honest about this. It, it is a big the deal. Blind leading the brain I don't know dead. if he should be, you know, that means he shouldn't be confirmed. But, you know, let's not pretend that it's not. Uh, you know what, I'll tell you this, right? For me, the bottom line is this. That guy, I would not, uh, based on what I know about him, hire him to do my taxes, <laughs> much less run the Treasury. So, you know, if I wouldn't hire him to handle my minuscule income, I don't think I want him handling, you know, everything. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, on that note, are you going to be working at CNN Radio on Friday, Lisa? I will. I will. Excellent. All right. We will uh, speak with you then. Until then, have a, a fantastic afternoon. Okay. I'm looking forward to being All right. I'd like to leave you with this, uh, like to leave you with this thought. Hola. Soy Vince Conchamau. There you go. Right. Thank you. Awesome. There you go.
Well, let's hope she actually heard that and wasn't just, you know, pretending. <laughs> well, she did laugh politely, at least. Well, she always does. She was laughing politely. This, I wonder how many things I've played for her that she wouldn't able to hear. And then she's, oh, that's that's great. I keep yeah. listening in cue over and over again to that. This last ten years. Yeah, how great is that? God, it makes me happy. All right, let me just, uh, a little bit of this over here. Hi, it's Fitz with Slap Chop. You're going to be in a great mood all day because you're going to be slapping your troubles away with the Slap Chop. Now, look, here's a potato. One slap, you got big chunks for stews. Two slaps, home fries in a second. And look at this. But you add a mushroom, the more you do it, the finer it gets. And here's the thing. As we go through this, it's one thing when you watch it on TV, but when you divorce the image from it and you just listen to it, listen to how many edits there are in this. Because clearly... Yeah, because I haven't seen the video. I don't know what it is. Yeah, like they can't go more... The same, like, yeah, and they can't go more like more than the like two or three words without having to edit it somehow. And then what you can do, you can mix things together. You can add the ham. You don't have time to make breakfast. You're going to have an exciting life now. Breakfast to go. You're going to love my nuts. Watch this. You can do everything in the cover. It's so easy. One finger. Kids can do it. Constantly. It's constantly edited. What about fruit? Put a mango. So I wonder if he can't do it in one take or if he just goes for like 15 minutes and they cut it down into a spot. And pops open the clean. Now these other ones, bacteria gets in the food, can't open this up. It's worthless. Forget about it. Now, and he's tossing it over his shoulder into the sink. With the skin. There you go. These skin is the garlic. The onions with the skin. All right, this is making you cry and making me cry. Life's hard enough as it is. You don't want to cry anymore. The skin's at the bottom. Hey, look, you want Life a little lessons. bit of onions? You don't want to drag out the food processor? The he skin just sounds like he right might you. We're going to make America skinny again. One slap at a time. When you it's buy true. Chop, we're going to give you the gravy for cheese. White cheese, gravy. yellow cheese in the container. Comes with a twister. And watch Wait for tacos. it. Fettuccine, linguine, martini, bikini. Comes with two blades, just bang what? it. Cheese that makes right no out, sense. Course, martini, bikini? Comes with a cover, stay Ripping sealed. Put that. it in the fridge, take it out when you need it. The Slap Chop sells for nineteen ninety five. but if you call now, within the next 20 minutes, because you know we can't do this all day, you're going to get the gravy absolutely free. Just pay for processing. Here's how to order. Call one. I like that line was shouted by some guy off camera. Call now and you'll get the gravy absolutely free with a Slap Chop. When you call, ask about our foldable cutting board. That's 1-800-951-7471. 1-800-951-7471. Call. Uh, call now. Well, so I'm looking at his Wikipedia page, and it turns out he is crazy. Really? Yeah. Like, actually, like, uh, like clinically he crazy? He sued the Farrelly brothers because he said that they stole uh, uh, some of his ideas for There's Something About Mary, and he also sued Anna Nicole Smith because she was supposed to be in his movie called Underground Comedy Movie that backed out. And then he also sued the Church of Scientology because he's an ex-Scientologist, and because uh, he said so they were saying malicious things about well, him. I'm sure that's unrelated to his craziness. Uh, I don't know. This... This picture, though, look at the He does eyes. seem... You're right look when you... That, seriously? Does he look like a dinosaur, kind of? That's a guy that... Yeah, that's a guy that is... Uh, that's a guy He's that's... He's con- a pocket full of roofies. See, no, you go the roofie way. I was totally going, like, that's a guy who's outside your bedroom window with a paring knife. Oh. Yeah. He has crazy eyes. I'm going to peel off your skin. He looks like he's going to be single forever. Yeah. <laughs> That's only because they're always able to gnaw through the ropes. Okay. Hey, I saw Chuck Knopf wandering the halls. Yes. Excellent. He's going to join us. And now he just wandered into KUFO. Well, let me take this call, then we'll break. We'll come back with Chuck Knopf, who's going to be doing the news for us. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hey, Rick. How are you? What's up? Um, Did you happen to catch the uh, last part of the uh, Michael Mara show yesterday? Uh, No. No, I did not. Well, uh, the Buzz Burbank was talking about, uh, he said that the FCC was going to start mandating uh, more programming in the public interest and uh, news. And I was wondering, 
Had you heard anything about that? I did a Google search all over the place yesterday after the show, and I couldn't find a thing about it. Uh, I don't know. The, the FCC is always like the, 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 the saying that they're going to do something. With it. And you know what? Here's why. I'm not saying it's not going to happen. Who knows? I know that the, the FCC guy left, and I know the new head of the FCC is some high school friend of Obama's. I think I read that this morning in the Washington Post. They said that the, the guy who's going to chair the FCC now is literally it's like an old high school like wrestling pal or something of Barack Obama. So who knows? But... Here's what happens with the FCC, is that uh, there'll be uh, some nitwit, some blue hair, and they'll get their panties in a wad about something. And it's not always just like, you know, like Howard Stern types of it. It's not just like profanity or whatever. They'll just, like, they'll hear something uh, on the radio that, or on TV, see something that they don't like, or or something that they like will not be on the radio, or they'll think that they're hearing the wrong kind of news stories uh, and it, like, let's say a penis watch, and then they will scream to the FCC, and then the FCC will always say something like, "Well, we're looking into this, and we want to make sure that radio stations are really invested in their city of license, and that they are working with the community to make sure that they are covering issues that are important to that community and to all of the various uh, the citizens and cultures that are represented within their broadcasting area." And so we're going to be taking a very close look and making sure that. Really, licensed broadcasting facilities are, uh, they are serving the community and providing what that community needs in terms of information, which means nothing. Like, that's just a thing to get old people to leave you alone. What do you bet that that's all on a tape loop and they just replay that every time they have a concern like that? Yeah, that's it. And it because they, they don't need very many tape loops because they never return calls no, uh, no, no. to anybody. If you ever call the FCC and ask them questions like this, the odds are like, one out of a billion that you will ever get a call. I saw a big thing this morning where MTV was trying to get uh, MTV was trying to get the FCC to call them back about this new Britney Spears song and whether they're going to have to edit the title for Radio Airplay and whatever. And we'll talk more about that later with with Jim Rube. I've got the I've got an edit of the song. And I, you know MTV, which is you know owned by you know the massive conglomerate, and the, and I've lost track of how many times like the FCC did not return calls for comment. So. Like, you get the feeling that there really is kind of nobody working there. That there is well, just sort of one computer with, like, blinking lights to make reels of tape somewhere spitting out responses to people. Well, I never was really a huge fan of the public interest information that they had before Reagan pulled the plug on all that. Yeah. But I kind of thought, eh, it would be a good idea to roll it back in that direction again. I mean, it's just gotten – there's just nothing left. Nah, yeah. no, you know, the public is dense. I mean, the public – really, if the public what? is just – I'm just – What do you say? You know it – look, if the, if the public <laughs> – I'll tell you this. You you listen to the radio. I listen to the radio. I, Sarah and I work in the radio. If the public decides that they need to start getting more of their hard fact and information from DJs, they deserve whatever they get. You know what I mean? If they go, no, 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 i got to turn on uh, Mary and Larry in the morning so I can find out what to think about that Senate bill. Well, if you think yeah. that, you are functionally retarded. I w I Not you specifically that I know of. I'm just saying. You. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, but, no, I was hoping maybe this would have something um, positive uh, as far as our, our beloved Tim Riley. Ah, oh, like the, like the FCC might just mandate more Tim. Well, that we can all be. We can all get behind that. All right. Better writing co campaign. Start sending copy cups to the FCC. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. I don't know. Now, the idea that, yeah, no, 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 I, I, the morning shows are going to have to start discussing uh, serious issues so that I might be informed. That's a... That's a road to ignorance, friend. Um, all right, we'll take a break. Speaking of news, when we come back, <clears throat> our good friend Chuck Knopf will step in uh, with us. Coming up later on, Steve Kastenbaum, James Roop, and Dorothy Carcassari from the National Enquirer, giving you the kind of news you actually want. Back after this, it's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere.
Why, hello, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on today, CNN Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum, also James Roop. Join us from Los Angeles. Uh, Dorothy Cassisari from the National Enquirer and uh, so forth. Uh, Brittany News Geek Watch coming up later on today and other things of that nature. It is uh, 503-733-2970. We are once again uh, joined today by our good friend Chuck Knopf sitting at the news desk. Hello, sir. And it is a good day, I think. It is. I haven't been at now. Is it a good day weather-wise because I haven't yeah. been outside? It's uh, mostly clear. Some high clouds right now. It's not bad. Uh, not to go back to talk about the weather, but I mean, did you uh, did anybody see that fog last night? Was that everywhere? Or was it just sort of around yeah, here? Morning, it was too. everywhere. I mean, it was it was kind of weird. It was that fog where, and I was out last night, and that fog was actually so thick that you started to think to yourself, like you started to have that conversation in your head, like, do I need fog lights? Am I going to go off the side of the road? Because there were moments where I could not see where I was going, and then you're trying to remember. Whatever it is they taught you in traffic safety, like 50 years ago, about how it is you're supposed to drive. And, okay, I guess I'm supposed to look at the side of the road and yes. follow the white stripe that tells me where the shoulder is and yes. then slow down to seven miles an hour. It was very unnerving. Well, it was so unnerving. I saw a guy on the side of the road. He had a knife, and he was cutting it with a knife and selling it. You could buy blocks of fog. Here you go. For two ninety nine. There's your fog. Save it for summertime. Yeah. <laughs> That's freak. And then you start to think about how cold is it and what happens if it suddenly freezes. Because I have that question about, here's a question, if there's heavy fog, but then suddenly the temperature drops to like, I don't know, 30 degrees, does that instantly just become, does it just become ice or become snow or something? It, it becomes seems, freezing fog, they it, call it, and see, it clings. See, and that's no good. See, that I need to sort of think about layers and layers of bad. Anyway, so, all right. And that's coupled with my already morbid fear that every time I drive across the Ross Island Bridge that I'm going to be it's passing... Crumble. Well, no, see, I don't have that. See, I have that. I drive across the Selwood Bridge, which is why I try never to do it. And it doesn't help, by the way, in the Selwood Bridge, there's big signs that say, by the way, this bridge is about to fall over. And it says no trucks, but yet you're surrounded by trucks the entire time. It's like, wow, thanks for heating that. Disregarding the sign, and you know the underside of that thing is just covered with cracks. No, every time I go across the Ross Island Bridge, and it's only on the Ross Island Bridge that I have this fear for some reason. It's not like when I'm driving anywhere else, even though this is a thing that could plausibly happen anywhere. Every time I drive across the Ross Island Bridge, without fail, uh, but it's only going east. So, in other words, if I'm going home and I cross the Ross Island Bridge, every single time I start to have that Woody Allen sequence from Annie Hall in my head, you know, where Christopher Walken is like, sometimes you just think about grabbing the wheel and just going into the oncoming lane and ending it all. And I think you about talk that about this all more often than not. It's kind of scary. So I, you always talk about swerving into other people's lanes. But, but see, I wouldn't do it, Sarah. But I'm saying, as I'm crossing the Ross Island Bridge, I always think about Christopher Walken being in the car, not him actually, but you know that guy in the oncoming lane going. Well, I don't know. I think I've just about had enough of uh, living. Hey, look, there's a there's a forerunner up there. I bet that'd kill me <laughs> right into me. So every single time, and so the fog just sort of. Uh, it exacerbates all of my uh, neurotic tendencies. Well, I think it narrows it all down right inside your head. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Just becomes uh, becomes focused hell right inside my brain, Chuck. All right. Shall we begin the news hour? Yes, we shall. Ladies and gentlemen, let's roll this. The news opener. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Chuck Knopf at the news desk. Well, Oregon State Police tried to pull over a driver who was weaving uh, all over the place on I-205 last night. But the See, driver, I'm not crazy. But the driver didn't stop. 
He said, okay, cops, you guys want me? you got to find me. So he started driving and driving fast. 29-year-old Robert Gilman III of Northeast Portland, he was doing 40 to 50 miles an hour when he got onto Southeast Division. He turned off Division and onto a dead-end street, turned around, sped off, and a trooper is in pursuit. The trooper lost sight of Gilman's four-door Chrysler but saw smoke coming from the area in Southeast 101st, just north of Division. That's where troopers say... Gilliam crash. So he was speeding yes. along on the street in southeast Portland, yes. weaving, and then when the cops decided to pull him over, he continued weaving, but at a higher rate of yes. speed. He said, come catch me. And All so right. they did. Oh, and go. he <laughs> ended up into a power pole and uh, two other parked cars. The question is, do you think he was drinking? Do you think? Well, and my question is... On 101st? Is that what Yeah, 101st in division. You know that's right at that overpass. It's, yeah. a, it's a, just on the south side of... of uh, What's that Butte there? Paul Butte. And see, that's one of those guys that, like, the universe will inevitably send to cross the Ross Island Bridge when he will. get home. That's, Maybe he was, he was a little early. I didn't even know that story was on the pile today when I was telling my uh, telling my uh, my my various phobias and fears. Yeah, right. I didn't know you were going to tell that story. So this is this is serendipity, my friend. All right, now I'm all freaked out. Thanks so much, Chuck. <laughs> that's great. Hey, police say a central Pennsylvania couple did not call the bank when a $1,700 check actually was 177000 These two people, they went to the bank, withdrew the cash, sold their stuff, and moved to Florida. That's fantastic. They said, we're living large. Wait, hold on. Where did they move? They moved to Florida. Nasty. I don't even. That was. I was giving you that one because I don't even know where my Florida sounder is. But I haven't loaded any of my sound effects. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I did not. No, no serendipity no, there. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, the judge says public defender and a conflicts lawyer are being assigned to the case. A conflicts lawyer. So is this where they got a check, or they just looked in their? Is like a direct deposit where they looked in the account and it they was like an extra account. zero or yeah, two or three? A, like extra three zeros. And they always say that even, like, if the bank makes a mistake and gives you too much money, like, you're... It's funny how no matter who makes the mistake, it's always your ass that is on the line for it. You know what I mean? So, like, if somebody writes you a check that you ca that you cash and the person doesn't have enough money in their account, like, it's your, it's still you. Like, it's still your fault somehow. You're going to get hit for it. Yeah, but you know, if you see 177 grand when there should be only 1,700, wow. there is some kind of a... Problem. Don't Perhaps you? I won some kind of a contest. Perhaps I was customer of the month, Chuck. <laughs> Unknowingly. I think the banks ought to. They really. They, they. Okay. Now see if they want to do that. If banks really want to get customer loyalty back, that's what they ought to do. They ought to be. Uh, you know, like once every twelve months or so, they just add a zero onto the end of somebody's bank account at random. You know, that wouldn't be a bad promotion. I'm talking about that right now. If they did that, then I would feel infinitely better about my banking institution. I had. This is uh, a long time ago, but now I lived in Utah. There was an ATM. That for some reason, I would withdraw, and I would always, even then, even depending on, it didn't even know how much money I had, I always would withdraw the same amount of money every two weeks, just to kind of have in my pocket, because I found that if I have cash, I spend less. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just, I don't know why, but if I have a credit card or whatever, I just, I tend to spend like really more than I ought to. But if I have cash, I'll be limited by it, because then I have to go get more mm -hmm. cash and whatever. Anyway. So I used to get like 50 bucks or something every every two weeks and just kind of have it as, as walking around money, as they say. And I went to this ATM and I, you know, and I compulsively like checked my balance, but the ATM wasn't subtracting from my account. And I took out 50 bucks and I looked and it was the same as it was. And I thought, oh. well, that's kind of weird. And I thought, well, maybe it's just like a printer error or something. And then I came back again the next day just to check it and I withdrew 20 bucks. Balance stayed exactly the same. And I, and so immediately what I started doing is I, every single day around the same time, I would come back and I would withdraw 50 bucks from the ATM and the balance for about two or three days, it just never altered. 
And I mean, the, and it's like, and I kept waiting for them to say something about it. Like, no, no, you're going to have to get, and you know, and here's the thing is they never did. They never did? They never said, and, and then it stopped. Like one day it didn't work anymore. Like the, like the fourth time I tried, like it didn't work. Uh, you know, I withdrew. In other words, my balance went down when I withdrew. But there was about three days where I was withdrawing money and it was never deducted from my account. Oh man. And I never said anything. And here's the thing. And I don't know how many other people were having that same, you know, that, that same issue if it was just my account. But there was about three days, this is probably 15 years ago, I was just withdrawing, and it was just, man, it was just, it was like it was printing the money inside the ATM and handing it to me. <laughs> You're living How the dream. How much did you get out? I mean, not that much, less than $200, I think, but still. But I mean, still, that's 200 bucks you didn't have to. $200 the bank gave me. Fools. Yes. All right. Here's Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, a St. Cloud, Minnesota woman is in jail after police say she tried to set her boyfriend on fire. Okay. She used a lighter and some air freshener. Okay, she needed the she needed the spark. She needed the fuel. Air freshener apparently uh, fills in. It, it does the job. Was he? Uh, was this another sleeping guy? I let me read on here. The 49 year old woman is accused of pouring fingernail polish remover on the victim, and the blanket that was covering him. Right. Apparently, he was sleeping, and then she lit it, and the victim was able to take. The air freshener from the woman. They had a struggle. A police say he, she then hit him on the back of the head and bit him several times. Well, that's that's young love. I'm unclear about <laughs> what part the air freshener is playing in well, this. Well, that's the fuel. That's that's like you light air freshener and that stuff will burn. Oh, is the, it's like a flamethrower. Wait, so is the nail polish remover? Is that like the pilot light in this story? It is. Is that the she's priming the pump with that? She did. What we you know, what we advise you to do is to have a. It's like that is the Duraflame log that you then add real wood to. That's where it you is. you've got to start it with the nail polish. It's priming it. Yeah. She was probably a Girl Scout, you know what I mean? And she knew you probably couldn't start a full fire right away. It takes time. Or had a great background in chemistry. It seems to be a lot of stories lately about people setting other people on fire. I feel like there's some sort of strange pyromaniac ripple going through the cultural consciousness right now. It could be. All right, it here's Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. A flyer headlined, Why I Hate Black History Month, that was sent to more uh, to sent home with St. Louis area school children, has been tweaked after a few complaints. Organizers say they were trying to emphasize the importance of learning about black history all year long, not just in February. Uh, the revised flyer is titled, Why I Love Black History Month, instead of Why I Hate Black History Month. I always get those two confused. Yeah. Yeah, they're four-letter words, but, huh. I cannot tell you how many times that happens to me, where I, I mix up the love and the hate. The, that was just like, and these stories are, by the way, speaking of the things that seem to be coming in clusters, this story, the because the flyer was, it was, they changed it to love, but it was called Why I Hate Black History Month. Yeah. This is, they were, no, 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 what we meant by that is, this is like that story we had about three weeks ago, where there was some teacher who was, I guess, trying to illustrate the, whatever, the awfulness or the, the, the horrors of slavery or something. And so the way she, I forget where this happened, but the way she chose to do it was to was to take a black student and, like, sell her to one of the other classmates for the day or something. It was some awful, we had it on the show. When? It was in the news out there. There was some teacher, and she was trying to illustrate the horrors of slavery. And so she's, for example, and then she got a black student up and, like, I don't know, like, manacled her up and, like, gave her to another student for the rest of the oh, day. Oh, wow. And then the parents said, hey, wait a minute. And she's like, no, no, no. What I was trying to do is, you're misunderstanding. Hey, why are you, let me go. You know, and then they, like, kicked her out of school, you know, and she's not teaching ever again anywhere. Probably not. So <laughs> you might want to think these things uh, through. This is like yesterday I was talking about how um, usually the first joke that I come up with, like, off the cuff to yeah. something is, is never really good. It's the second joke that's better. So we had Ricardo Monoban who passed away, yeah. and I was trying to do a Wrath of Khan joke, 
And so the first thing I said was, you know, you know, instead of Khan, I said, he's dead. And that was moderately amusing. I realized that what I should have done riffing on the, the Wrath of Khan thing is to say, Ricardo Montalbani is gone. <laughs> and that's much funnier. And so Sarah said, what you ought to do, Rick, is she said, you should write down your first joke on a piece of paper and then just crumple it up and throw it away and go right to the second one in line. It's like obsessive compulsive shopping where you never take the first box of cereal because that one's been made, that one's been touched by everybody. So that's what every all these teachers ought to do. Take that first idea and then just shred it and then go with whatever idea number two is. Uh, here's uh, Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, a woman has been banned from driving for 20 months after caught on a 2.4-mile-an-hour supermarket mobility scooter trying to get home after a drunken night out. 46-year-old Amanda Leaf was more than twice the drunk drive limit when she was spotted driving erratically by an off-duty police officer as she attempted to negotiate the 10-mile journey to her house. <laughs> she said she had taken the buggy from uh, a store to save herself the taxi fare. Uh, the court heard the, the journey would have taken her four hours. Wait, so this is, Sarah, was this the story you were talking about this morning? Which one was it? This story about, this story that Chuck just read about the the, uh, the scooter. Yeah. Now, this is, what is this, like a rascal or something? Yeah, is this like the supermarket rascal? Those are fantastic. Yes. So this is. you got to admire that. Well, because here's, here's the thing about the scooter. Let me ask you this. When you go to the, like, the store, let's say the supermarket of your choice, and you see one of those those rascal things, can we all just say, that 80% of the time, it's just some fat bastard that doesn't want to walk. Yeah. I mean, we all know that's true. That's a thing that you're not supposed to say, but we all know to be the case. When you, when you go to the store, and there is, and you can hear it coming up behind you, and some of them actually have those. They're not bells, but it's like a little, it's like a little electronic horn, kind of an eh, and it's like to get me out of the way. Yep. And I'll turn around, and your first response is to feel bad, like, oh, I was blocking a handicapped person. But then you realize they're only handicapped by their inability to put down their fork. And it's just some big load uh, who can't be bothered to walk anywhere, and th there they are in the rascal, like sort of wheeling their flab down to the frozen food section. So anyway, so it's good to see them being used by somebody who actually, who actually should have been using it. And I like the rationale because she was drunk. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, look, I mean, it's a. I would rather have somebody rascal. We're going like you know three miles an hour than really? she is going like forty in a car. You know what it is? That's one person who's not going to head on collision into me on the Ross Island Bridge, and if they do, it's going to be more on her end of the equation than mine. So I'm okay with that. that. Awful game, like with your friends, like when you see somebody in a rascal, and no. they're like obese, and you're like handicapped or morbidly overweight. No, no, I've never done that. And you try to. Just trying to figure it out. I'm sorry, it just goes through my head every time. Because, yeah, it's true. You see so many, like... How do you ever figure out the answer? Do you scream fire and then see if they sort of... <laughs> see if they try to run? See if they roll You're away. covered in roaches! And just see if they get up and... Well, that's like the... Uh... The handicapped or fat is that's like true. I the... Guess um, there, I guess there is no real answer to it. But after you kind of think about that, because it's the first thing that goes through my mind whenever I'm, like, in Fred Meyer and, like, there's some... You know, yeah. Huge woman in front of me, like you know, just like weaving, like like doing the um, Martha. Uh, the Martha dump truck, dump truck from Heather's. At the, end which, of the, yeah, at the end of Heather's, when she's like swerving around, I can't get by her. I'm just like going in a slow figure eight. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's really no way to. There's really no way to. Like you have to pull like the smoke alarm or like uh, toss. <laughs> Talks like a little Debbie uh, snack food or something just out of arm's reach, I guess, to see how that's going to work. She'll hustle for it. That's sort of like the, and this is the thing you do all the time in Utah. By the way, I used to do it when I lived in Washington and in Utah. You do this all the time where Lara and I play the, the daughter or girlfriend uh, game. When you're walking through like a Target and there'll be some guy with a girl who looks too young to be accompanying him. Uh -huh. And you think to yourself, but sometimes she's a little tarted up and you kind of think, all right, trashy daughter. 
you know, or, or or very, you know, nearly underage wife. And especially in a heavily religious city like Utah, you, you never quite know. Because you can't, you know, you never know when she's got, you know, a bunch of identical-looking wives and they're all living at home somewhere in accordance with prophecy. So <laughs> that's just the way it is. Here's uh, Chuck Knopf at the uh, news desk today. Uh, Hamas officials confirming that an Israeli airstrike killed the Hamas interior minister who oversaw the uh, rockets that were red-glaring over uh over Israel and lighting in neighborhoods and killing Israelis. One of the reasons why this war started in the first place. Hamas Television says Interior Minister uh, Saeed Saim was killed in a strike that flattened a home in Gaza City. A top aide, Saim's brother and his brother's family, were also killed in that attack. He's considered to be the uh, among Hamas's top five leaders in Gaza. So that's what Israel's doing over there. They're trying to uh, uh, trying to get those those. Leadership, the leadership, however many, apparently there are five that they're looking for. You know, here's the thing about there's just so much to talk about uh, with, this, with this, and I don't, it's not like I really know what I'm, it's not really like I really understand anything, but I, that doesn't stop me from, <laughs> this is part of what the FCC says when they talk about, you know, conveying information to the public. So I'm just, you know, so I just continue to bump my gums about things I have only the vaguest understanding of. But, but it does seem like, and they were having this discussion on CNN last night about Israel is saying, well, look, we're not going to stop until Hamas knocks it off. And then Hamas is like, no, 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 we're not going to stop until you know the Israeli aggression ceases. But there's only one of those groups that probably has nuclear weapons. And that's the group that's going to win in the end. That's just, there's just no, I mean, you know, like, uh, it's like Ash says in Army of Darkness. Good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun. And you know what? Uh, Hamas probably doesn't have nuclear weapons because they almost certainly would have used them by now. I would think so, yes. Israel probably does, but they are using the restraint that comes with knowing you have one. And Israel is probably just, I mean, it seems like every day that, you know, Mr. Finger is getting closer to Mr. Button. And there's just going to be a glare, and then things are going to be over one way or the other. Did I see this morning that Israel actually, although they've now apologized the required number of times, did I see they actually bombed the United Nations building they over did. there? They did. I wonder if that was... I'm just saying, the United Nations does seem to have a, the, the pesky habit of meddling. So I wonder if that was a little bit of a, uh, maybe you ought not meddle. That's just us saying this. I mean, I wonder if that was maybe just the just the tiniest bit of a passive or active indication well, the, that the United the Israelis, Nations should... The Israelis were taking fire from that building. The Hamas had taken over the oh, building. Oh, see, so that's the, I didn't know that. So is yeah. that the deal? Yeah. So and it wasn't just like a little bit of an elbow throwing in the lane to make, no. a, to make a point? No, it was it was to make a point to Hamas. You cannot use... You cannot use schools, nor can you use U.N. headquarters or any food distribution places. You know, the, the people who are trying to provide infrastructure and food and, and clothing and shelter. Seriously, you know, the whole, everybody, they're all they're just such children. I mean, really, I just feel like you're going to have to at some point just do that Brady Bunch thing of just a line down the middle of the bedroom. You know, and you're just going to say, look, you have to stay over here and you have to stay over here. And I swear to God, if I hear one more peep, I'm coming up here and it's no TV for a month. But they that's just... what the Israelis have been doing. And they got some peep out of out of Hamas with rockets. And they're saying, you can't use rockets in the bedroom, you guys. They got some. <laughs> I, there has to be no. There is to be no napalming in the bedroom after the hours of 8 p.m. during the week and 10 p.m. in the weekends. And don't make me come up there again or it's flame flowers for everybody. All right, well, let's take a break here. We'll come back after this. More from uh, Chuck Knopf, who's at the news desk today. Uh, later on, we have seen a radio correspondent, Steve Kastenbaum. James Roof will join us as well. More of your phone calls and so forth. Stay there at the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Yeah, 
wow, you'll be saying wow every time. I can't live without it. I just love it. Oh, my gosh. I don't even buy paper towels anymore. If you're going to wash your cars or any kind of vehicle, you'd be out of your mind not to own one of these. All I can say is sham. Wow. You're going to spend $20 every month on paper towels anyway. You're throwing your money away. The mini sham wows are for everything, for everyday use. This lasts 10 years. This lasts a week. I don't know. It sells itself. It's sham. fantastic. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. I don't have the email that uh, I think it was our good friend Todd sent us yesterday. I think I deleted it by mistake. But but he made this up. He says the thing about how the ShamWow absorbs. It's always 10 with this guy. The ShamWow absorbs. It lasts for 10 years. It absorbs 10 times its own weight in water. And yet you're supposed to clean it by putting it in the washing machine. And so I think Todd <laughs> raised the issue of yeah. Like if you have a fistful of sham wows and you put them in the washing machine and they all absorb ten times their own weight in water, like isn't that gonna make the washing that machine Todd crazy? It shouldn't make it like implode? Like yeah. won't there be like a white dwarf or something? Will yeah. it like there'll be some sort of a sink like the washing Black machine? <laughs> well done. Um that the washing machine is gonna reduce to a singularity or something. It's gonna be the center of all gravity in the universe. So we have a polar shift and all that. Now, have you seen? Uh, do you know? Have you seen the commercial we're I talking have. about? I have, and the guy's lying. It's, <laughs> that's Chuck Knopf who said that, by the way. That is uh, not the opinion of, of me or Sarah, anybody at CBS Radio. I, he does have this weird, like he's, you know, what his head is shaped like. And I hate to be like I'm just railing on a guy's physical appearance because I'm no prize. But I mean, look, I don't want to be that guy. We're like, and he's and he's ugly and stinks. But I, his head is. It's so tiny. It's it's not just that it's tiny. You could sort of you sort of got close when you said dinosaur. I think a little bit, but the thing is, I'm, I'm making these hand gestures about the guy, the Shamwow guy's head. But it's like his forehead is sort of receded, and then his nose is out just a little further, and then his jaw is out further still and like angling. And so the end result is, and I think '80s and '90s kids will know what I'm talking about. The end result is that. His head kind of looks like that. Who was that huge moon that sang for McDonald's? Do you know what I'm talking about? And you go like, it's Mac tonight. And he was a huge moon with exactly. legs. Do you know, sir, do you know what I'm talking no, about? I'm just thinking of the moon from the Smashing Pumpkins video. No, not that. No, that's okay. around. There was this. Uh, I, the, McDonald's had this mascot. And he was a crescent moon. Uh -huh. You know, so it's shaped like a fingernail. He was a crescent moon wearing sunglasses. But he was like a crescent moon with arms and legs. And so he would sit there and he would play the piano and he was just a big crescent moon sitting there singing Mac the Knife, but it was called Mac Tonight. That's what the ShamWow guy kind of looks like to me. He looks like the okay, crescent moon I, I guy. He looks exactly like the moon guy. Because his face is weird and sort of curvy. And it kind of like elongates toward the bottom. That's right? what I'm saying right there. So now he does the ShamWow and now he also does the, uh, the slap chop. And by the way... The, we're really in my wheelhouse now because I can talk about commercials and advertisements and all these things just endlessly. <laughs> so the slap chop, it's, and I keep calling it an infomercial. It's not. It's like a two-minute commercial. But it, you know what I mean. It's, it's a sort of it's a commercial that feels like an infomercial because, A, it seems to just be interminable. And, B, he does have that weird kind of manic, but how much would you pay? And then he you know, just screams at you. That was back-to-back -back with an infomercial for something. And somebody out there will know what this is called. Let's see. Where did I put this? Hold on. I wish that I had, I wish that I had stopped and written down the name of this product because I can't remember. This is I made a note to myself here. Slap chop nuts. That sounds really awkward, but you know what I'm talking about. Where he's talking about the. You, 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 something, you do something really horrible too. 
the uh, what is wait this is my Karnak. What is uh, Rick Emerson's weekend activity schedule? Um, the <laughs> stop or I will lose my composure. So I had slap chop slash nuts. Well, that sounds even worse. Slash nuts, nuts sounds even worse, actually. Yeah. Anyway, so but it was kind of bleedy and falling out. <laughs> it was back to back with the, but it was back to back with a with a, a a commercial for this hearing aid thing. And I don't know if you all have seen this, but it's it's a hearing aid that is designed to look like a BlackBerry sort of headset. Have you have, have either of you seen this? What I'm talking about? It's, but it, clearly it's a hearing aid for people who don't want to buy a hearing aid. And you put it on, and it looks like one of those BlackBerry deals. It's, that, that is obviously the thing. It's, it's supposed to look like you're on the cell phone or something. But you wear it on your ear, and it just magnifies all the conversations around you. And so they show all of these people in different situations, like in church, where they can't quite hear the, the sermon, and the old woman puts on the hearing aid BlackBerry thing, and it magnifies the conversation. But then they have all of these other uses for it, uh, all of them, which they all sort of seem to uh, revolve around being the Gladys Kravitz of your neighborhood, because they have endless variations on this, where they show the woman putting on the hearing aid thing, and then standing outside to eavesdrop on whatever the neighbor girl is talking about. And then there's another, they show a guy wearing it at a party so he can hear if all the women are talking about how hot he is. Oh, boy. And then, <laughs> the, the, I, you, you've got to see this. I wish somebody will tell us what it's called, and then you can watch the commercial, and you'll know the greatness. Because they show the guy at a party, like, surreptitiously, like, reaching into his blazer pocket. He puts the hearing aid BlackBerry thing on. And I guess maybe that's why it looks like a BlackBerry, so you can use it in public while not looking like you're eavesdropping. He turns it on. And then they show the sort of bad cartoon animated, like, sound wave thing. So you can see that you hear conversations up to 50 feet away. And suddenly he gets the weird uh, the bionic woman hearing. And he can hear that the women across the room at the party are going, what a hot guy. I wonder if he's single. <laughs> and And then they show the old woman putting it on. And she turns it on. And it's like, hear conversations from across the street. And she hears the women across the street going something like, you know, well, you know, they're not married, and he just got a big raise at the firm, or something like gossiping about, like, whatever, you know, there's some goings-on in the neighborhood. But then the most absurd one, the final use they show for it, which makes no sense at all, and in fact seems dangerous, they show a guy, like, in camouflage clothing with a shotgun in a duck blind, and he's got the little BlackBerry hearing aid magnifier, because I get the feeling that unlike, let's say, like a bell tone or one of those actual hearing aids... Mm -hmm. I get the feeling that this is sort of like Byron Beck's reading glasses that he bought for $5 at a Fred Meyer. I bought them for 99 cents. <laughs> Sorry, 99 cents, where they just come off the little rotating rack by the, you know, the, by the trick yeah. cereal. And I was pointing out that I don't, that's like just putting magnifying glasses in front of your eyes, which I think is bad. This is sort of like the hearing version of that. I started hearing someone holding magnifying glasses. There. Because, right, that's what those are, right? Because they're not, it's just, you know, because, they, I mean, look at the eyeglasses you're getting for $3 aren't really good for you. And so rather than an actual hearing aid, which is calibrated, this is just a big thing that makes everything louder that you wear on your ears. So the final example is a guy in a duck blind, like with a duck, you know, like a hunting hat and camouflage, and he's listening for the sound of the wildlife. to hear if wildlife is approaching. But then he is, but then in his hands, he is holding a hunting rifle, which he is presumably about to fire right next to a thing next to his ear that makes everything a hundred times louder. <laughs> 
So it seems like that's a deafening in one ear that There's is just like seconds away. There's always in these infomercials, just like a couple things that just don't match up. I, I would just give anything to be able to sort of fast forward magically into the next 30 seconds of the of the, of the hunting guy's and life. And bleeding from the ears. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to watch as his brains are blown out one side of his head because he fired a shotgun right next to a thing that makes everything really loud. I mean, it's just the best. So if you ever see that, you've got you've to gotta watch it. It really is a... It's truly something. Uh, let's see here. Let's get um, let's get this call, and then we'll continue with the news with our friend Chuck Knopf. Hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Uh, good afternoon. I don't know if I can quite top that, but I'm I'm doing the crossword puzzle from Sunday's paper, and it has the... What an exciting life you must have. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's lunchtime, you know. Okay. I, I grabbed something. All right. There's, a, there's an article here, though, that Jacob Dillon is selling his house. In in uh, Brentwood area for eleven million dollars. Jacob Dylan's house is sell- being sold for how much? Eleven million. Who would pay eleven million dollars for? Who would? Buy- I wouldn't pay eleven million dollars if I actually got to own Jacob Dylan and make him. If I got to make him do like a little dance for me whenever I wanted it. Exactly. But the best line is though the last little part here is that he is the youngest of four children born to Bob Dylan and his ex-wife Sarah Dylan. <laughs> well. <laughs> that is fantastic. I like what I'm hearing. Will you please? Uh, will you please? So, just where did you saw this? Where? This is in Sunday's paper uh, in the home section. The Oregonian. Yeah. Okay, I got a must find. I, I will find this then. And uh, thank you for passing along that information, sir. No, no problem. Did you have a question about the BlackBerry? No, but you know I've watched that show, that commercial, a couple times, and I'm trying to figure out is when the lady's listening or the guy's listening to the people across the street. How come a car is never going by? And you know that's going to just burn up the ears. That's the that's the other thing. And by the way, the reason I ask is because on the screen it said you had a question about a black bear, but I guess that must have been whoever was on that line before. Um, no, that's that's the other thing. So they show the guy. Uh, like at the party, and he's eavesdropping on the hot women who are like, I wonder oh, if he's I'm single. Oh, I'm watching that right now. That guy's yeah. in really good shape. And amazingly, though, there's just no, there's no other discussion or noise at the party. And as you said, the Gladys Kravitz woman, and every neighborhood has her, is listening to the discussion across the street about like, like whoever, like the new guy that's moved in or something. But uh, but yes, there's no like there's no car sounds, there's no yeah, jackhammering. Yeah, you know what? This guy's sitting there listening to a sporting event, and he's standing in the middle of a bunch of screaming people around him. Who, who mysteriously are not being amplified. He's just hearing the referee, right? Yeah. yeah so we'll right. play the audio from this here in a few. It's, it's quite exceptional. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. Well, I have to go look up that. And there's the hunting guy. That C, and he's there with, and he's sitting there like waiting for a deer or something, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. All right. right. Yeah, we're gonna have to play it. This is gold. Ladies and gentlemen, at the uh, news desk, it's Chuck Knopf. Uh, Weather-wise, Chicago National Weather Service issues a wind chill warning until noon tomorrow. The forecast is for. uh, negative range temperatures. Get this. Wait, uh, that's not here, is it? No, no. Oh. Chicago. Okay. Chicago. Right. Minus two. Dropping to minus uh. 15 overnight. Uh. Strong northwest winds producing wind chills. Uh. In the, the Chicagoland area, minus 25 to minus 40. Minus 40? Minus 40. As of 11 this morning, CDT, Central Daylight. No, CST, Central Standard Time. Sorry. It was minus 8 at O'Hare, minus 5 at Midway. Waukegan, minus 8. Joliet, minus 14. Aurora, Minus 18 degrees, and this is midday. You know what causes that shot? Global warming. Yeah, yeah. I Al guess. Gore, where are you? Something. So. Al Gore took those temperatures this morning. I don't want to start a whole, and really, I honestly don't want to start a discussion about it, but that's the thing that I've started to say reflexively whenever there's the Arctic blast or whatever, because I guess it's the coldest it's been in Chicago in 12 years or something. It's the last time the low was colder than minus 10, 1999. 1999. And I made this remark to my wife. I said, well, you know, that's because of global warming. Ha, ha, ha. And then she sort of unleashes this whole discussion about how it actually is, which I think is probably just made up. 
Like, I think that's a, I think just as I reflexively always laugh and say that's because of global warming, now people like my like my wife and her environment, my her hippie friends, they always just sort of reflexively say, no, 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 it really is. And then we just sort of stare at each other and we realize there's sort of a detente that has to happen. Otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere. Yes. Uh, here is Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. President Bush will encourage the nation to promote freedom in other countries when he gives his final address of the presidency. Tonight, it'll be televised 8 o'clock Eastern. Speaking today at a Senate, or rather at a State Department ceremony, the president emphasized America's abundance should be shared with other countries. What abundance? What? what is he talking about? Really, What? I was just going to ask that question. What do we have in abundance right now other than irritation and anxiety? Well, we have the Dow up 31 points, but that's, you know... That's a it relative. Was, it was down all day more than 200, so when he talks about that, I question his... I mean, what specifically? Well, uh, no, I mean, you can, Chuck, we're a very irreverent program. You can question whatever you like here. It, Heidi Tauber took forever, by the way, to grasp the fact that she didn't have to be nice when she talked about, you know, the government or people or anything, because she's, you know, she's a professional as you as you are, as um, I used to be. But I, you're still a professional here, Chuck. Okay, you're a professional thank inside you. in our thank hearts. You, thank you. But I mean. That's one of those things he says where you almost want to like get him in a room somewhere and actually ask him to like to clarify. You know what I mean? Like what what does that actually mean to share our abundance with the rest of the world? First of all, doesn't it seem like every time we try to share everything with the rest of the world, the rest of the world tells us to knock it off? I believe that's the case. It seems like you can't really have it both ways. Every time we try to share anything, oh, I don't know, like freedom, the right to vote or something with the rest of the world, then ever then everybody just starts screeching that we ought to mind our own business. So there there seems to be no winning there. The rest of the world. Part of our abundance, America's uh, filed for Americans filed for 524,000 initial jobless benefits claims last week. Well, that's those are ours. We're not sharing those. But that's up 54,000 from the previous week. So when you're talking about abundance, we've got an extra, you know, a few people who have. We've no, got manpower. We have. That's what we've got. To, that's what we've got to offer. But it's idle. We've got idle. We've got idle hands that could be working in Bangladesh uh, right now. So. Anyway, well, all right. So we've got so we've got that and so forth. And we've got the only other thing we've really got to share is we've got um I think we've just got girth. That's it. Because there's that story that yesterday or the day before that because for like um for a while they've been said that we're just the fattest bastards on earth, which but now we're not even just the fattest bastards, we're in fact the most obese because there are what do they say? There we are now the most obese country in the world and the number of people who are clinically obese now outweigh the number of people who are simply overweight. Really? So we fought, we decided just to cut out the middleman and just to go directly for, like, if we're not going to be fit, we're just going to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. We're just going to uh, we're just going to embrace it. We're going to run with it. Here is uh, Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen, at the news well, desk. More on the weather. Temperatures in Bismarck, North Dakota, hit a bone-chilling 44 below, setting a new record. According to the Weather Service, the last time it was that cold in January was back in 1950. Uh, National Weather Service meteorologist says that the uh, state should see a warm-up soon, with temperatures hitting 40 above on Sunday. Many eastern and southern states could have bitter cold temperatures tonight and tomorrow. And in Southern California, they're talking about fires, the possibility. They have the Santa Anas down there. Uh, yesterday, Los Angeles tops out at 86 degrees. So we've got, uh, you know, two ends of the spectrum working in this country today. You know what's causing that, Chuck? Global warming. Yes, that's what I was uh, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. By the way, somebody has noted that in that infomercial or the commercial whatever for the hearing aid thing, uh, it says, don't forget, there's a scenario where a girl is walking on the beach with one of those ear things on, and the other girls in their chairs go, quote, wow, she has the best body ever, end quote, and she smiles all huge like you'd be wearing one of those on the beach in the first place. That is a, uh, 
That is a fair point. These things never really hold up under even the, uh, under, you know, even the, the most gentle scrutiny. So, all right. Uh, let's see. Let's. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, Rick, on the uh, infomercial thing, have yeah. you guys ever considered actually doing on-air product reviews on some of these things? How do you I mean? mean? They're, they're cheap enough where you can actually you can actually send away and get, like, the, uh, the little BlackBerry uh, Bluetooth headset right. if you're hearing anything, and try it out on the air. Have, uh, you know, have somebody, have, you know, Richie or somebody try it out on the air, like, like the slap chop <laughs> thing. That's not so, a bad idea, So that actually. we can all actually see... How these things really hold up to uh, to um, you know the, the, your rigorous testing methods, and then maybe just give the thing away afterwards. Okay, that's actually not a bad idea. You know, I like that. Uh, and you know, we could probably wheedle a free one just by using the power of CBS Radio. We played yeah. a ShamWow commercial like 17 times. Seriously, we ought to just backbill them. Uh, Get some ShamWows and spill some stuff on the floor and see what happens. Well, it's like you know they they, <laughs> they used to. Um, Attention engineering. We will not be, quote, spilling some stuff on the floor to see what happens. But, you know, Scott Daly said he's going to bring in his ShamWow tomorrow. What? Yeah. I'm sorry. Can you... I... Can I tell you, the leader of the free world is going to be speaking tonight, and I guess we should be talking more about that. But the biggest reaction that I've had today is just now when you said that Scott Dell is going to be bringing in a towel. <laughs> Goddamn not towel. towel. I'm not a chamois. I'm not a towel. I'm sorry. It's a sham. Wow, you sons of bitches. So, uh, wait, so he, wait, so he owns one. He owns one. He got one for Christmas. From who? Oh, the perfect... I don't know. Somebody bought it for him, but so he's going to bring it in. Perfect. I got a, I got a pocket fisherman for Christmas. Really? They make those. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And my, uh, my New Year's resolution this year is to actually try and catch a fish with my pocket fisherman. Okay. Just here's the say... great thing about the pocket fisherman is that everybody sort of references it, but it actually is, as you said, still on sale. In fact, my wife and I, we do this because we're lame. Uh, we do this every every Christmas Eve, and this year was no exception. Although this this year it had the, we we had the uh, we had the we had the not so obligatory but always enjoyable Christmas Eve fight beforehand. But then after that was over, um, we we you know we went to the Peacock Lane thing in Southeast where you see the lights. But before and uh, before that or after that, one or the other, we always go to that Walgreens, which is right next to the to the, to the Christmas tree display, just to walk through and just to see all of the trashy stuff that is on sale there. And I swear to God, we did see the Sham Wow, the Petty Paws thing. And also the pocket fisherman, the actual pocket fisherman. So I'm so glad to hear that you actually got one. Yeah, I'm going to try and catch a fish this year with it, just no, so I can say you're not going to try. Actually, you, work. No, you, you will. will. You will do that. Now, where are you going to go? Are you going to go to like a, just a, the ocean or the, to a lake or like a, a pond, like a stock oh, pond? Like a like a stock pond, something that has like really small fish that won't actually like destroy the pocket fisherman and and take the, the bits and pieces of my pocket fisherman under the pond and under the water with it and living out the rest of its days. You yeah, maybe, maybe because it's it's a pocket fisherman, you don't need a, a license from the state of Oregon to fish. You no, know? you should, uh, and that's, <laughs> a, you know, and it's like, I mean, that'll be, you know, that'll be one of those things that... Uh, that would be a really expensive experiment you want to try and figure that out. You want to film the, that. Uh, game commission explaining, well, it's just a pocket fisherman. <laughs> I only, you ought to, you really ought to film that and post it. The pocket fisherman, like, actually being used. Yeah, so, it'd be great. All right, excellent. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, there you go. All right. Uh, all right, Sarah, so we're kind of close to the top. Do you want a break here? Yeah, yeah, let's do that. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back after this. More from Chuck Knopf around the corner. Uh, later on, well, so now now we got all of this. So I guess now, I guess we don't have Steve Kastenbaum. Are you saying we didn't have Steve Kastenbaum? We do not. All right. I think there's. I think CNN has some breaking news, and I know they have him on, and I just All got right. an alert. Is there breaking news? Yes, a U.S. Airways jet with 135 people has crashed into the Hudson River just north of New York City. Oh, oh wow. And rescue right. workers are on... Uh, oh, that's why Dorothy can't make it either. All right, so uh, breaking news on that when we get back. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. 
Hello, it is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-737-3393-703-297-503-737-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-3393-297-
there was no there was no gear. Maybe uh, I'm thinking if they landed in the water, something happened with with the power, or or with with uh, the uh, the hydraulics. Something happened. It, it, seeing the picture, that's a 737 uh, Boeing plane, maybe a six seven hundred series. And are that you is, doing that from memory? Yeah. Look at you, Chuck. Knopp. That's the most. But that's the most airworthy. It's it, they've made more Boeing 737s than any other airplane in the world. And so it's been flight tested over and over. The question is the, the failure, and I'm sure Boeing is going to be sending representatives of the company to that crash site along with the NTSB just to see what happened. I wonder if there's a huge red bat phone or something at Boeing that, uh-huh. like, every time there's a, any sort of an incident with a plane, like it's you know, like the like the huge you know gauga thing goes off and they just dive and they, they there's like a special like and there's a special like jet that they all run to that just beams them instantly to the scene so they can that's, that's exactly what you know because yeah. that's a public relations thing you want to deal with uh, exactly. properly so but so I wonder and there's no way to I mean I know this sounds silly but if you so this jet and if you're just joining us this jet is um, crashed although here's the thing. They say it crashed, which I guess technically it did, but you know what this seems like? This seems like a thing that I say never happens, which is the, quote, water landing. Yeah, that they yeah always it looks like it landed about. a little too short. It looks like one of those killer whales that the boats are, like, out there trying to help. You know what I mean? That's that's it what it looks like. It's like the fins and everything. Because it's, got the, because it's upright. It's about half. Uh, the water is about halfway up the side of the plane, but it's just floating there with the big, you know, the tail section totally out of the water. It looks like one of those... You know, and, you know, and Grokmar the whale has lost his way back to the open sea, and then you get, like, Greenpeace out there trying to, like, you know... They're at, shepherding it out. So. Yeah, they're trying to, like, point him toward toward the ocean. That's what the plane looks like, and it looks to be a fireboat on one side of it, uh, a large police boat on the other side, and then there's, uh, as you said, Chuck, there's, like, an aircraft carrier, the, the, the Intrepid, yes. uh, which is right there. Uh, and they said, uh, I'm looking now, they're saying that uh, there are passengers... Visible pad that sort of came out and like stood on the wing of the plane in the water. Oh, that's creepy. That's wow. so creepy. Waiting to be rescued. I mean, I guess that's and the good. Hudson River too. Oh, that's a clean. So dirty. That's a clean body of water. Well, I guess that was the only one available yeah, at the time. I'm sorry, your choices are Hudson or <laughs> pavement. <laughs> Jesus. Exactly. And so my theory is, and keep in mind, I'm speaking out of my ass. Uh, the my theory here is that then. There was something wrong with the hydraulics, you said, or the landing gear. I'm thinking so because it, it says now that it took off from LaGuardia and was heading to Charlotte, oh, North Carolina. Oh, it like immediately they figured oh, out. Oh, it took off. I thought it was landing. No, it, well, it made a landing, but it, but it was just airborne. So just, oh, okay. I thought that so was the So they were probably the running through the systems, and they realized that something wasn't, they were either, their steering didn't work or something, and they had to, they had to ditch. All right. And so they must, I mean, obviously I say they must be trained, but of course they're trained, but they must, there must be a... There must be a, what's the word I'm looking for, a flow chart in your head that they drill into you yes. as a pilot where they say, like, look, first choice is this, second choice, this, third choice, this. And, like, you know, choice number 12 or something is, like, land in the water because at least it's not concrete, you know, exactly. or a building or something. Uh, so, and I mean, not to be not to be morbid, but especially after 9-11, I would imagine there's all kinds of extra procedures for any plane that is anywhere near Manhattan. But as soon as I saw like plane crash in New York, does it just make you feel sick? See, I actually didn't think about that. I didn't either. I did, to oh. be fair, maybe I've... It did to me. It just made me feel, yeah, it just, I felt very bad. Now, bad see, they're going to, now, see, they're going to, now, see, now they're going to play that country song about how I've, how I've forgotten, Sarah. Have you forgotten? I haven't forgotten. Uh, but they, uh, but I actually didn't think about that, although I do remember that, what was it, a couple years after 9-11, 
Who's that guy? Some athlete, some 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 baseball guy, like a baseball player in a private plane, and he crashed into a into the side of a building. Oh, the Yankees yeah. guy or something. Yeah. Right? yeah what, was. Was, what was his deal? He does not know how to fly. No, he had a he had a medical problem uh, that he became disoriented and, and like right into the side of a right building. Right into the side of a building. Yeah. But I remember that before we found out that it was a little Cessna, or, you know, whatever. That they were just like plane hits side of skyscraper in New York, and I remember Tim and I were like, ah, oh, for the love of. And then, you know, not to, not to make light of it, but it turned out to be, you know, it was r- relatively minor. Well, that makes me nervous, too, because, that, you know, my sister, the person I love the most in the world, is sitting in a skyscraper in New mm-hmm. York right now. And I'm just like, hmm. Well, they said there's there's a new report, a part of the reports trickling in that a, a bird strike may have caused it to... Uh, to go oh, down, uh, entering the engine. Oh, that oh. is my biggest fear. I didn't think it actually wow. happened. Yeah. And yet, well, you know, a lot of airports have um, sound, they they make sounds at the, at either end of the runway to ah. disperse birds. Yeah, exactly. So that they they don't suck a bird. And oh. if, when you do, that's that's bad. That, that'll just shut so down. So a bird the airplane. can take down a, a billion pound metal flying object. It's and, a bird. And in yeah. fact, I believe we have somebody calling. Uh, so we'll get to the. I just looked down and realized we have all these calls. Uh, so ground hold. Hang on. We'll get you here in a second. Oh jeez. Uh, we're talking about this uh, plane uh, that is uh, crashed in the Hudson River uh, just a few uh, minutes ago. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hello. Hi, sir. Yeah, hi. Just want to let you know that it's an Airbus 320. It's an Airbus 320. Okay, it looked like a 737. It was just a front shot. Yeah, that's that's what it shows here is an Airbus 320, and that it hit a flock of seagulls uh, as it took off. Insert observation (laughs) here: flock of seagulls. Um, So seagulls are gee, but something like that. So it hit like a whole. Here's a dumb question. I mean, wouldn't I don't mean to sound like I'm. Wouldn't they just get out of the way? I mean, you're a bird, and that's a huge thing in the sky. Wouldn't you just? Maybe the engine sucked them in. Maybe a bird doesn't realize it. But I, I don't know. You would think that you would think it's like a predator or something, like a loud, scary thing coming at you. You'd get away because you think it might be a thing that's going to eat you. Maybe he wasn't looking. Maybe not. All right. Well, in any event, so so they're saying now, sir, that it, what it hit a flock of, of, of like a bunch of seagulls in the air. Yeah, that's what they're saying. And so oh. what? So those go. But I mean, wouldn't they have like a grate or something on the front of the engine that would keep it from going inside? Good point. I mean, I say as though I'm smarter than like an engineer. But it come would, on. Every, well, every time you look at a jet airplane, they always just see that big propelling, the, the big propellers inside. That so thing that looks like your washing machine just whirling around. Fans. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it goes right through that. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Excellent. All right. Thank you, sir. Twenty de- greatest show ever. Thank you. Twenty degrees right. right now in New York, uh, and, and much colder in the water. So. Oh, that's, oh that sucks. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hey, Rick. What's up? Hey, it's Tom. Hello, sir. Hey, um, yeah, I'm actually I've been watching this for probably about twenty minutes now, and. Yeah, this is this is one of those things that, as a pilot, I'm scared to death of myself. Uh, yeah, what specifically? Well, just hitting a big hitting a big bird in a tiny plane, and what the, what I've been seeing here is that what happened is is the is the not only did birds go in the engine, but they also damaged the flight controls. Oh, so they must have gone through the windshield. Well, no, it didn't no. go through the windshield, but it hit like it hit like the back side of the wing, and so Hydraulics. the ailerons and the elevators weren't oh, working properly. Oh, okay, properly. all right, okay. And the reason the gear was up was because if you have gear down, you land on the water, right. you're going to rip the entire bo- bottom off the plane. Is that true? All oh, because it would snag, basically, exactly. for lack of a better word. It would be the, what's the word I'm looking for? The resistance of the flight gear against the water would then, it would tear the bottom would, of the plane off. It would turn it, it would cartwheel it, in effect. I never right, really thought right, about that. that. Too. Well, that's, that's why it. they don't let me fly anything. Uh, okay, so that that does make sense because then it becomes at least somewhat uh, aerodynamic or the water, whatever the word, the nautodynamic, whatever the water equivalent of that is. Right, and and this plane is actually very buoyant, so that's why it's in, that's why it's still in the water. 
there's a lot of air there's a lot of air still in the plane. Okay, all right. Now here's not, a... not to mention they they did get everybody off. They've already said everybody's off and back to shore. Okay. There's some injuries, but none. None, no specifics. They've, so I'm looking at this photo here. You have passengers actually standing on the wing of the plane. Oh, man. Um, and then they actually used like the little slidey thing. They used the little slidey thing. And the, thank you, thank you for flying U.S. Airways. Uh, and then you know, and then they sort of bob away. So I, you know what it is? This is like. Um, Here's a, here's a little side note. So we had a meeting the other day here at CBS, a refresher course about how to run the emergency alert system. And the emergency alert system is that, like, you know, this is a test of the emergency alert system, if this had been an actual emergency. And, you know, sometimes there is an actual emergency. And if you've ever, if you were a radio person who has ever had an actual emergency happen, Chuck, the first thing is like, oh, Christ, what do I do? Oh, was, God, where's that book? Isn't there a booklet? Oh, God, what do we do? Back in uh, back in 1971, there was, on a Saturday, there was an official emergency, and I looked at the authenticator pack, and it was the authenticator words. And my question... Alpha, bravo. Exactly. Yeah. And, and do I shut down the station or not? I elected not to because I thought it was a glitch. Because you're all man. Yeah. I'll take the hit. That's anyway. right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, but many stations in the United States at that time did shut down. It was a, it was it was an error by the or a mistake. Uh, yeah. Um, so this is but so this is sort of like that when you have the the water landing or whatever, and then you start to think like, oh god, that whole video they play before every flight. What does it say? Mm-hmm. Something about in the event of loss of cabin. No, that's if we're that's if the the, the, the window gets blown out. What if, flotation? Flotation devices. What can be used as a is it the bag? No, that's to vomit the in. The what seat. am I supposed to float on, honey? And then you're trying to figure out what the hell you're supposed to do. But um, but so these people are standing on the wing of the plane. And so sir, you said that there's some injuries, but they they managed to get everybody out of the plane. Right. All right. right. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you for the heads up, my friend. You're welcome. All right. There you go. That's uh, that is Tom, who is a uh, who's a pilot. Um. All right, so we're talking about this uh, plane that is uh, landed in the Hudson River. That's got to be, I mean, that's why pilots, I mean, I don't know what pilots get paid. Do the pilots get paid very well? Is that a, is that a high-paying job? Yes. Um, I would imagine so. Yeah. 150 to 200 grand a year, I believe. See, and that's the thing, because you've got to be like, you know, you got to be able to, like, think in what we will charitably call a stressful situation. Yeah. Well, it's nice to hear stories like this, whereas, you know, most of our plane stories, like, there's a horrible one in there when somebody, like, crashed into a plane with a cart or, like, the pilots are being taken off the plane because they're drunk. Oh, we had that. Like I think it was all two days ago, three days ago. No, there there's was... another plane story in there with the. Oh, it's horrible. Let's not read it. Well, I mean, it's not horrible, horrible. I mean, nothing bad happened, but it could have happened. It's not the one about the guy who comes out of the bathroom covered in waste, is it? No, not the feces one. This was a, a, a bunch of baggage carriers who were driving a cart around and they rammed it into a side of the airplane and didn't tell anybody. Oh. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. Oh, then there's that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so I'm looking at this and. The, the because yeah because that's you got to make a bunch of decisions on the fly and I mean so okay so and forgive me if you've already told me this Chuck now did you was it you that is actually you're like a pilot training or history or something no I, who who was it I no, I must no. be confusing with somebody else because it seems like we talked to somebody who has had pilot training or whatever anyway because I'm wondering I recollect that too see I but I can't know. but I don't I don't maybe I'm just making it up or maybe we're just thinking of somebody else I don't know but so my whole thing is like what what I wonder what what is the checklist you go through before you land at no pun intended before you land at let's ditch it in the water, like what what have you opted to not do like what are, what are the other choices before that? Well, I think you what think? you do is you have to determine where the problem is and see if you can quickly come up with a workaround. 
And, uh, you, you know, wh- what do you do if you do send Ernest Borgnine down to the to the cargo hold and help him crank the right. the landing gear? Maybe that's part of the option. I don't know. And you know? then finally you just say, well, I guess we take it in the water. Because really, the and I guess this they're saying this now is it was right near 48th Street in Midtown. It was on the Hudson River right off of 48th Street in Manhattan. Uh, going, leaving LaGuardia, going to Charlotte. They figured out, I guess, early on something. Yeah, they they figured out they've been hit by birds or something. And there must be like. So a, how long was it in the air? Do we know? Well, I mean, it was just. I don't know moment. where's LaGuardia. I mean, like, where's that compared to where they landed? LaGuardia. It's not far because LaGuardia is is directly east of Manhattan, whereas uh, JFK is south. It's south of uh, JFK is south of LaGuardia, and and LaGuardia used to be the the major airport in New York. Yeah. Where they, I can't. It doesn't. It doesn't say exactly how long in there, but it couldn't have been that. I mean, it couldn't have been that long at all. Um, but because there's really nowhere else to land, right? Like I think that's your deal. Like it's not like you can land in Central Park. So there's. It really is the water or you know something hard. Uh, former NTSB manager direct managing director Peter Gold says passengers may have had a hard time getting out of the plane. Come out of a helicopter uh, right next to the plane. This plane is actually facing east. This is uh, in the Hudson River, right in the middle, uh, roughly at 40th Street. Yeah. So yeah, and I, I can see here that these the passengers were sort of they they put the little uh, Sarah's a little uh, inflatable slide thing out, and then they're uh, oh, and then there's just and then there's just like luggage and stuff like all over the water. That's creepy. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I guess it, so. Everybody did did get out, but. That's, you know, that's one of those, here's the weird thing about this, is that weird, and by weird I mean terrifying, this is one of those things, uh, well, I, I hate to I hate to use another plane story by comparison, but it's the only thing that comes to mind. We were talking to Jim Roop, I don't know, a while back about, there was that horrible story, uh, it was a place that I'm actually very familiar with, there was that horrible story in San Diego a while back about a plane that just landed, a jet that just hit a residential house. Right. And a, just killed a, everybody inside. It was inside. a Navy FA-18. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the pilot had to ditch, hit a house, killed everybody who was there, uh, the whole family except for, except for the dad who was, like, out somewhere. Um, and I was talking to Jim Roop, and I said, you know, that is the, the, the like, that in in a sort of philosophical sense, that is the thing that lets you know that, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. Because it doesn't matter. You could, it, it, that there are things in the universe that just, that just happened. Like, you know, with, what does John Bender say? He says, screws fall out of doors. The world's an imperfect place. And planes uh, just uh, fall out of the sky sometimes. There's just nothing you can do about it. And the idea that, that they hit some birds or some birds hit them, and then that caused this plane. That co- I mean, how much does a plane like this cost? I mean, what is it? What is it like? A, you know, it's, I don't know if it's a I'd million say, bucks. I'd or say, I'd say seventy, eighty million dollars. I mean, an eighty million dollar plane, and it's a seagull, freaking seagull, which is basically just a rat with wings, uh, <laughs> hits the plane, and then the whole thing is just in the water. I mean, that's where you kind of go, like, well, you know, we're just, we really are just ants, humans. I mean, we really are. We are just so monumentally insignificant in the grand scheme of things because the universe has no problem. Uh, just just doing things like this, to us. you know. Yeah. Nature has no problem just taking you out. And and here's something I thought about uh, to 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 extend your rant here. Yes. <laughs> Think about did these people who were on the airplane wear clean underwear today? Ah, uh, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. And I will tell you this also. Like, do you you wonder like why did the pilot say? All right, now you're not gonna like what I'm about to say. Let's all take a deep breath. I mean, you how does the yeah, I wonder how one warns someone for that. I mean, because we all know the like, uh, you know, please return your seat backs and tray tables to the upright position. But I mean, what did you suppose is the actual speech that they give? Like when? Just, like preparing for emergency landing. I'm sure he said something like, "Break, brace yourself for a water landing." Probably. Do they? How much oh. warning do they think 
because I, I have again two schools of thought on this. Like when the uh, you know when the, the, everything starts to go starts to go down, you figure on the one hand. Oh, okay, so it happened in within five minutes. Yeah, well, you know, remember when someone sent me the flight tracking thing and it says level climbing, 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 falling, descending, falling, descending, falling, descending, falling, falling, and it stop. just goes descending, descending, descending. Oh, I wish I couldn't. I didn't look at that. Yeah, uh, the uh, because then that's just like yeah, it's like a straight up, straight down kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, level climbing, climbing, descending, 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 climbing, and then just all that. It's like as uh, John Cusack doesn't say anything, you know. If anything's going to go wrong, it'll be in the first five minutes of the flight. Oh, ding. Yes. Yeah. So that's why no, which is true. That's why I always wait for the uh, you know for them to go. And it's now safe to use your electronic devices because I'm like, ah, we're not going to die. Well, not now, anyway. Uh, and so then I don't worry again until the landing. And really, take off. I don't. I'm not afraid of flying anymore. But take off and landing. That's the only part where I get anxious because that's when you know. That's when you're really having to achieve this this Arthur C. Clarke magic of flying in a thing that weighs a billion pounds. Oh my God! We we should stop. I'm just saying that's 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 when I get nervous. So. But you got to figure when the so the pilots at some point make the decision like okay screw this like we're gonna land in the water like that's it there's no 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 nothing we can do we're gonna land in the Hudson River. You got to figure that they either are a going to say tell people as early as possible so that they have a chance to like you know get over their panic and not be like running around you know like like you know just running around like you know, just like crazy people like the crazy lady on the bus and speed totally yeah. uh, you know so they don't just so they don't go nuts so they have time to think like okay or do you suppose it's the other where they go like look no matter how much time we give them this is going to be like the most terrifying thing ever so let's give them no time at all to panic let's tell them 10 seconds beforehand you know what i mean I mean, if they want, if they just say, like, let's not well, give them any warning. The, well, I guess the crew would still be strapped in if it's, you know, only been five minutes. Yeah, because nobody would be moving around. The stewardesses would still be belted in in the really? back. So I wonder... No, but for takeoff, the stewardesses are wandering around, though. Is that true? Yeah, because I remember thinking that it was strange that they were walking, and then when I see the stewardesses still, you know, like, preparing the food and stuff, it makes me feel better. Wouldn't you think that they would want to tell people almost, like, immediately before it happens so that there's no time for the chaos to ensue? Because that's not going to help anybody. I mean, then that's just going to be... I think they must just say, like... Uh, look, we're going to have to land in the river. Everybody just uh, hunker hunker down. And three, two. You know, I mean, that's because otherwise it's just going to be madness. I mean, it's just going to be, you know, you everybody's going to just come on hinge, which, which I would. I mean, that's certainly understandable. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hey, Rick. What's up? I just got a couple of quick things. Yes. Um, you ever seen that show, Destroyed in Seconds? No. Uh, it's on Discovery Channel. And what they did is they took a plane and put it on uh, remote control and intentionally crashed it when it was full of fuel to see what would happen. Is this like that Smash Lab show? No, no, this is, they take footage from everything that's okay. ever been basically blown up or destroyed. All right. And um, the really cool thing was the fact that when the plane crash landed and they intentionally put barriers in front of it to, like, right. tear off the wings and it caught on fire. Right. When they got back to it, inside the fuselage where all the people were, perfectly fine. That's interesting. So the planes did not go inside the cabin, and the seats were fine, and the like the dummies were fine, and they're just like, yeah, everyone would have lived. Well, I mean, I guess uh, you know, in some sense, they must design these planes like they design NASCAR vehicles, where like you know, you see those NASCAR crashes where the car is just a smoking cinder, looks like it came out of a compactor, and then the guy gets out and he's like brushing himself off because that whole thing is just a cage, basically, mm -hmm. just to keep him. And I'm looking here, and the plane does look. Uh, intact, and that wasn't even on concrete. This is like in the water, so... All right. um, two more quick things. Yes, sir. Um, uh, Michael Clayton wrote a book called Airframe that I read. Yes, which I own, and I've never read it. It's sitting on my shelf at home unread. It's, it's actually a really good book. He talks about the fact that the wings um, are the strongest part of the plane. 
I always thought it was the see why in my head I always thought that the wings were designed to come off for some reason, but I guess maybe I'm making that up. They said that's where all the rigidity of the plane comes from. It has to be because it's that's the lifting device. I guess so because they must be because otherwise without the wings you're basically just sitting on the ground mm -hmm. wondering when you're going to get to grandma's. So okay, well that makes sense. And uh, useless fact of the day. Um, Highway 26 used to be, before they started putting overpasses in, it was a uh, emergency landing strip for from an airport. For aircraft in distress. I think that, also. Uh, also. You know, the, the grassy median between the two roads, uh, they used to use that as a, as a emergency landing for airplanes until uh, they started putting overpasses on it. All long stretches of interstate or U.S. highways are designated for that. Is that true? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. So how do they how do they do that? Do they just have the cops come and they block off the highway? I don't know. I don't know what they can do prior to it because if you have an emergency, there off times is not a, a time. There's to... no time to like stop the traffic. Right. Although I guess you would only need to stop the traffic in one direction because right. it's all going one direction. So if you stop people from getting on the road, eventually the people who are there will drive away and the plane will have a chance. Right. I didn't know. So, so all all highways are designated as emergency landing the strips. Flat flat stretches of. Interesting. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. There you go. All right. We finally have a reporter on the scene, Glenn Shuck, and uh, we, get a, we get an eyewitness. Witnesses are describing a jet that came into the Hudson River. Now, this crashed near the Intrepid Sea and Air Space Museum, which is uh, berthed along the west side of Manhattan near 42nd Street. The plane has been identified as a U.S. Airways flight, flight 1549, that had left LaGuardia Airport heading to Charlotte. And he says that uh, about 150 aboard. 146 passengers and crew members were on the twin-engine plane at the time of the crash. No word yet as to injuries or possible fatalities uh, in this incident. So I'm looking here. I got another shot of the plane. Uh, I'm looking at the New York Post website. And there's another shot of the plane here, and it's a really amazing photo where the plane is sitting there floating, but I would say almost, almost two-thirds above water. Uh, in other words, almost the entire plane, really everything except for the wings is on top of the water, and you just see like dozens of people standing on the wing of the plane. It really is pretty amazing. Um, I mean, I guess I guess really one must crash. This is the way to go. I mean, this is like this is the way you want to crash because everything seems to have gone relatively smoothly. Uh, and so they're all standing here. It says, um, uh, let's see, there have been no, listen to this, there have been no reported casualties. Yeah. Um, although... Creepy. The aircraft is reported to be sinking slowly. So, oh. but I, but they're all but it's empty. I mean, there's nobody there. So how are they going to get that out of the river? That's oh. a good. That's a, now. See, that's a really good question. Barges with cranes. Yeah. Is that true? Mm hmm That's what they remember. Do they have to cut into little pieces? Maybe not. All right, we should remember, take, let, let's do this. Well, let's take a break here because we're okay. we're going to get behind. Take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk more about this. If you're just uh, joining us here, uh, there's a U.S. Airways plane has crashed uh, into the Hudson River in New York. No casualties. But um, but everyone's very freaked out. So uh, we'll talk more about this when we get back. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. The uh, Rick Emerson uh, radio program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. So to recap today's breaking news, we will once again go to Chuck Knopf. Uh, wait, hold on. Where the hell is my... Uh... There we go. 
Chuck Knopf at the news desk. U.S. Airways jet crashed into the Hudson River in New York this afternoon. It happened about 12.25 our time. The good news, all 146 passengers and five crew members reportedly survived. Passenger Alberto Panero says, wow, he's calling it a near-death experience. Somehow the, the plane, you know, stayed afloat, and we all were able to get get on the raft. And um, I, it's just incredible right now that everybody's still alive. And I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, Panero says many on board donned yellow vests and grabbed seat cushions to use as flotation devices, just as instructed. Uh, passengers were seen standing on the wings of the plane. The A320 took off from New York's LaGuardia Airport, was heading for Charlotte, North Carolina. Preliminary reports indicate that a flock of birds could have flown into one of the jet's engines, causing it to crash. And this says, uh, let's see, uh, our good friend uh, Thomas, the tech guy, weighs in. He says, Rick, the Airbus A320 weighs 150,000 pounds, costs about $60 million. Um, uh, the plane goes too fast for the birds to get out of the way. Uh, that's why they hit the birds. They hit the birds while flying over the Bronx on their climb out, and they were going to land at... Uh, Teterboro? Teterboro? Teterboro, yeah, on but, Long Island. But the flight controls were damaged. They opted to land in the Hudson River because it doesn't have very many bridges. Uh, also, they hit geese, not seagulls, and it was an entire flock, so a whole flock of geese. And so those, okay, so they go, so it's right, so it's into the engine, but then it also makes it sound like they were damaging the, the flight controls, which are on the back side of the wing, right? Yeah, they're they're both there's there's a redundant uh set of of flight controls but what likely happened is that the engine somehow started to come apart and severed the <laughs> hydraulics uh, and so so when that happens wow. you know you you've got a dead stick as they call it uh i don't you know i don't like to hear the phrase uh, the engine was coming apart that's no good i'm i'm completely oh wait a minute hold on richie is chris paddock is chris paddock correcting me on my uh on my on the flight attendant uh knowledge all right, well... What did he say? What? Uh-oh, I don't think the intercom's working. I think the... Hold on. Yeah, hammer it. His... his well, his wife, Tracy, is a flight attendant. Oh, I, she is. I, I, Morse code. <laughs> this is one of them. The blitz has begun. <laughs> what is going on with that? Seriously, that was, that, was, that was weird just now. That was like a little Edward R. Murrow it, speaking to it us. It was. Uh, well, let's see here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Who might this be? Jerry. Hello, sir. How can I help you? Yeah, no, I was on a flight outside, uh, going out of Boston, and we had what, in essence, was a, a backfire. We were on a 757, and it backfired, which sort of put a shutter through the plane and a little bit of a noise. And I was up front in first class. There was like four of us. It was a late-night flight. I look over at the guy next to me, and he sort of shrugs. All of a sudden, it's not like the flight attendants come up one at a time. They all sort of rushed up, and then, which added to our concern. And uh, in the 757, there's a little uh, cubby just at the very front of the plane, and they all sort of went into this cubby. But they, what they didn't realize is that there was this fisheye mirror that we could all see. And they're all, you know, just 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 like whatever, by waving their hands uh, wildly, and crossing themselves. Yeah. yeah. And then they and then they all come out one at a time. And they sort of walked back to their their uh, station smiling. Well, it happened again about 10 minutes later. And they didn't learn the first time. They all came rushing up, which causes, an, you know, intense panic uh, within the flight. You no, know, there's Everything all kinds was, of things you don't want to, yeah, that's, you don't want to see that. You, I, if they're panicked, I would like for them to keep that hidden from me. I don't wish to know. No, no, no. 
or they should just uh, sort of sit and smile. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Even if everything, even if all hope, in fact, especially if all hope is lost, just, you know what, just offer me another cookie or something. Just let my last moments be stress-free. We should have Patek in here and see if his wife has ever had to. That is a good idea. All right. Uh, all right. Thank you, sir. All right. There you go. Uh, let's see. We'll, we'll uh, rustle up our uh, good friend, uh, Chris Paddock. Let's see. Well, I don't even, let's just get the rest of these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, how you doing? What's up? Well, I was on a flight um, in 1990 on Aeroflot Airlines. Russian, um, the Russian airline. Yeah, which is uh, the world's worst um, airline for safety. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't have to be safe. They didn't care. Well, I mean, seriously, what were you going to do? Was the you know? Was, well, was this this, this um, plane we were on was so old. Uh, they didn't have those little um, overhead compartments. They had a shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, excellent. And so I was. Uh, well, on my way home, I was an exchange student in Eastern Russia. So we're on our way home, and I get over to my seat, the window seat. I was right over the wing, and. Um, I look over, and on top of the wing, for about 10 feet, is jet fuel coming out of the wing, flying over the wing, onto the the engine and onto the ground. That's where you have that moment is, oh, dear God, I'm going to die today. Yeah, and so what what year would this have been? 1990. So, oh, this is not even Russia, but it was still the Soviet Union. Yeah, it was still the Soviet Union. Oh, that's even better, because then, as Chuck just said, like, what are you going to do? Take a a competing airline? Yeah. I don't think (laughs) so. And, you know, it was a nine-hour nonstop flight to Moscow, and so you you think, I'm not going to get any sleep, so I... Yeah. Nine hours. Some, that engine for the whole nine hours. Maybe a somewhat so shorter God, flight, die. depending on how the plane is yeah. operating that They're day. They're expecting better mileage. <laughs> really? No. Is this plane safe? Oh, you know, but this plane is safe and will operate to glory of Soviet Union. Yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Motherland. Seriously. Just, just, it, it was pretty terrifying. Good God. Right. Thank you, sir. I see you. Ah, there you go. Oh, that's great. I love story. You know, the thing, I miss the Soviet Union. I know it's a weird thing to say. <laughs> that is I, a weird thing to say. No, I miss the Soviet Union because it's like, I guess I'm glad that the Soviet Union, I guess I'm glad that the Soviet Union, uh, just for my own amusement, it fell because now we get to hear these stories, whereas probably before you wouldn't have heard, I mean, I guess, you know, he's an American, so we would have heard that, but a lot of those stories from inside the, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, you never really got to hear before because they didn't have the freedom of, you know, the press and so forth. And so now, you know, you sort of get to hear about, oh, one time in, one time in glorious Soviet Union, and then it's like some Yakov Smirnov type story. But, um... But I feel like we're not going to have as many of those stories going forward because now, as opposed to being, uh, as opposed to like sort of being actively corrupt uh, and evil before, now they're just sort of bumbly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now you get the feeling they just kind of don't know what they're doing. They're, exactly. You know. And the, here's the thing about about Russia now. I think Russia is this great horrible combination of like they haven't quite got the capitalism thing. That not that we do, uh, as I think the last few months would indicate, but. <laughs> But, I mean, we kind of know what we're doing sometimes, and it's like they don't, like they've, it's like they've, it, it, it's like going from childhood to puberty in like a day and a half, and they haven't quite figured out how to master everything, but then at the same time, they've got all this oil money, so the, so the, so the Russia is, so Russia is incredibly rich because they got all this oil, but they don't really know how to run any kind of actual business, so of course the mob just comes in. It just takes everything. They over. say, let us do it. We can do it cheaper, and we can do it more efficiently. Which I believe, by the way. <laughs> I mean, somebody should do some parallel world simulator to see what the American economy would be like right now if we were letting the Gambino family just run everything. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you get the feeling, under a Gambino administration, people pay their freaking bills. There's not going to be any of this like lending to a guy who's oh. not going to pay you back. Right. You'll pay it back. No home equity loans. I'm sorry, <laughs> me and my fat bastard suburban family can't pay for this SUV. You know what? You you will be paying. There. Uh, how about this one? Oh, here's a creepy email. 
Who wants to hear a creepy email? Everyone? Great. Why not? Yes. This says, um, hey, I have an observation about this plane. Uh, if you just joined us, there's a plane that is uh, landed in the Hudson River. Everybody does seem to be okay, but it, it crashed in the Hudson River about uh, an hour ago. Uh, this says, Rick, about the plane. Every t oh, See, I don't even want to read this, but, you know, here's the thing. As Sarah will sometimes say to me, it's in my head, now it's got to be in your head. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. So let's all... Let's all have our brains warped at the same time, shall we? All right. Every, he says, every time I fly from now on, when I hear in the event of a water landing, I'm going to have this image in my head. Up till now, I couldn't really picture it. Now I know exactly what it will look like. So there you go. So you can picture yourself standing on the wing of a plane. And the Hudson River standing at, like... In icy waters as the... In icy waters, like, full of, like, dead mob people. <laughs> as, the, as the fuselage begins to slowly sink underneath you and you wonder when the boats will arrive. So there you go. Have fun with that. I'm not going to suffer alone. Yeah, that's a whole lot of wondering if the uh, if the if the Carpathia or whatever it is saw your flare. Exactly. Jesus. All right. Um, hey, uh, 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 Donde es uh, Chris Paddock? He said he was coming in. I don't know where he is. I could just uh, I could just sit and play some musing uh, music while we wait for him. Hold on a second. Let's just. Oh, that's the waiting for Chris Paddock music. <laughs> Specially selected for your dining and dancing. Exactly. In the meantime, I, I, we, you know, at slack moments like this, I can always read this story about a guy whose scalp got removed. Uh, this says, Rick. Really? Subject line this email. <laughs> this is why certain people don't choose to come back here, Chuck. <laughs> See, you're here a second time, which means that you are all man. Uh, there are certain other folks who have done the news. They Sometimes they don't even get through ten minutes and they decide that they don't want to be here anymore. This is it. I, I think it. you know who we're talking about. Too. I do. Um, did you listen on the, were you listening on Tuesday? Uh, I know, I but I but I heard some um, scuttlebutt from around the uh, the station here about it. Yeah, it was quite a day. Yeah. Uh, this email says, "Here's the worst sentence ever, Rick. I present you with the worst sentence I've ever heard. Quote: I was up for a jog until I felt my scalp flapping around back there. End quote. What? Uh, <laughs> see, and this guy really knows how to write an email. He gives the horrible quote first, then the context." So once again, Sarah, yes. the quote, I was up for a jog until I felt my scalp flapping around back there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Here's the context. <laughs> Rick, we should make this a regular bit. We do an awful quote, then explain the context. This is a quote from a man on a show called I Survived. Oh, I think that's on the, um, also on the Discovery Channel. You know what's on the Discovery Channel? Have you seen that show Time Warp? Time Warp is really cool. The, the problem with the Discovery Channel, and there is no problem, it's just that there's so much great stuff there. That it's like you could almost spend your entire day, every day, just watching the Discovery Channel and still not be caught up, which leaves me no time to watch Anthony Bourdain and think about how much cooler I would be if I were him. <laughs> so I've got that guy was talking about that destroyed in second show. And I do like the idea that everything in our culture, we have eventually we, we've now just gotten to the point where we don't have any subtlety in titling anymore. Which is why Ann Coulter can put up books called, like, I'm going to kill you all, you know, or whatever. And like, that's her new book. And so on the Discovery Channel, we've gone from having, like, you know, at one with nature to now a show called Destroyed in Seconds. Um, so there's a, but there's that show Time Warp. And Time Warp is a great show because what they do is they, it's a whole show. And it doesn't sound like it'd be very interesting, but it is. They just take all kinds of stuff. They film stuff with ultra high speed film. Mm. And then they just play it back really slowly. And it sounds like it would be dull, but it's not. So, for example, they have 
you know, like the old example is like water drops hitting and then bouncing, mm-hmm. and then they film, but or like milk drops or anything. Yeah, and then they play it back in ultra, ultra, uh, you know, slow speed. But it is things like stuff breaking or glass shattering. They did one of, um, it was a cannon filled with sawdust, and it did this sort of big explosive fireball. And they, you know, they filmed it with like this massively high speed film, and then they play it back slowly, and it really is quite, quite something. Or like a guy being. This sounds dumb, but it's, this is the thing that guys will watch. It's a guy being punched in the face. <laughs> and it literally was a guy, like, blap, being punched in the face. And they film it, like, a, a billion miles an hour or whatever. And you the, see the skin, like, wiggling and stuff? Totally. And they play it back really slow, and it's all, like, and you see, yeah, just the, the, the water, the, the, like, the earthquake rippling of his face. And his epidermis as it's sort of, you know, it looks like one of those bridges in the earthquake that's, like, waving. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, um, so this I Survive show, I think, is on Discovery. So the quote is, I was up for a jog until I felt my scalp flapping around back there. The quote is, from a man on a show called I Survived, describing his flee from the woods after being mauled by a mountain lion. Uh, This listener, Darren, says, I was channel surfing during the Blazer game and I stumbled across this show. I had never seen it, was listening to this guy describe his mountain lion attack when I heard him say that. It put an image in my head so horrifying I will now have to um I will have to pound the rest of my Jamesons and watch the nastiest porn I can find just to burn it out of my brain. Since I have to suffer through this, I thought you should too. Best show ever. Cheers. There you go. So it, it really, I never need to hear that phrase again. I'm just saying a lot of the time I have one I could replace it with. Let me ask you this, Sarah. I'm gonna let you choose. Would you rather hear that phrase again? Or would you rather hear a phrase from this mystery story right here? It's not about eating your own eyeballs, is it? I'm not going to say what it's about. It could be anything. It could be... Did it, you hear... We had that story no, last week. Really? Should I read it again? <laughs> oh, I don't think you... Sh- I don't want to hear it, but I think Chuck should hear it if he hasn't heard it. Chuck, let me tell you about a little bit we do called The Worst Story in the History of the Universe. Okay. All right. And that is where we read two awful stories mm-hmm. uh, because they are vile or disgusting or horrible or off-putting. We read two of them, and then the audience votes on which is the worst. And then that story goes, you know, is the champion. And the next time around, it faces off against another story. Okay. Yeah. And we have this one story that's been the champion for like six months. And the challenging story was about... Should I just read it? Yes. All right. Hold on a second. Let me find it. It's right. Where do I, I keep these right Did you just carry that around with you? I do. What's I wrong carry, with you? I carry the eyeball story everywhere I go, Sarah. One never knows when one will need it. Um, all right, let's see. Where do we put it? Now, that's... Uh, the hell is that? Why is that story here? Hold on a second. Right, uh... No, no, that's about the camel. No. <laughs> that's the one about this... Seriously, here, the, okay, the spider one, camel one, chainsaw, impaled on handlebars, tasered in the eye, impaled on plunger... Uh, Impaled? Oh, I forgot about that one. Uh, pool cue prank ends in agony. Uh, let's see, how about this one? Larvae pulled from man's head. <laughs> Toronto man tasered in the eye. Uh, okay, here we go. All right. Oh, remember this one about the restaurant owner who was covered in pus? No. I'll read that one later. All right. Chuck, uh, uh, so this is the this was the challenger. Now, unbelievably... This story, uh, I gotta find the worst story ever music and keep it in the system because yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I've got it. it buffering over here, but. All right, really well, the, all right. Well, let's just take these calls and then I'll read it. Hello, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. This What's is, up? uh, 
Job Shadow Julia's dad. Hello, I just sir. want How to are let you? you know I oh pretty good. I uh, just put her older sister on the plane for Dallas and got in the car to drive away, and now it's in my head. Well, I try to make every drive home an exciting one, sir. <laughs> yeah, best show ever. All you right. guys have a good one. Thank you. All right. Uh, hello. Hi. You're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello, Rick. What's up? And Ed L. I know you are an aficionado of zombie movies. Yes, I am. And I saw a good one recently that you may or may not have seen. Have you seen uh, Fido? Oh, uh, Fido, uh, Sarah, did you see that? I like that movie a lot. A there lot. was a bit of a dispute. It's like Pleasantville meets like... Pleasantville meets Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. Sarah liked it. Aaron didn't really feel that good about it, but Sarah liked it a lot. And I think my my wife, of all people, actually saw it and liked it a lot. It's hilarious. Like, they, all the zombies have to walk around wearing collars, and then, like... Because they're kept as pets, right? Yeah, and then right? every once in a while the collars are short out, and the zombie will go like crazy and like eat an entire woman, and then the collars will go back on, and it'll just go back to being So it's sort of a black comedy? Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, well, uh, they, they managed to pull off a, uh, a zombie with rakish charm. See, and I haven't seen it yet, but everybody I know has, so I feel like i got to watch it at some point. All right, and, Fido, duly noted. I'll put it on my Netflix queue. I really queue. do think that you'd like it, Rick. I'll try to watch it this weekend. Speaking of Netflix queue, about... Yes. Half of my Netflix queue is just movies that you casually mention or talk about on your show. Such as? Um, well, last night I had the misfortune of watching the the latest uh, Dolph Lundgren vehicle, uh, Bridge of Dragons. You, you know, were talking about you know, him. Something with or, Dolph Lundgren is never a misfortune, sir. Uh, something with, you know, Dolph Lundgren makes everything good. Is the blonde well, guy? Yeah, he's the uh, you know he was uh, yeah. Drago in Rocky Four, yeah, and he was in the He Man and the Masters of the Universe yeah. and so forth. Yeah. And he right. speaks Bridge. four languages. Bridge of dragons, no dragons, no bridges. <laughs> the end. I'm not even sure it had an of in it. <laughs> that is that's wonderful, excellent, sir. You ought to be writing for Film Threat. All right, well done. Thank you, my friend. Giggity. Okay, there you go. And he went to MIT. Not that guy. Uh, all right, do we have the music? Oh yeah. All right, so Chuck. Uh, this is, we're, uh, by the way, don't call and vote here because we're not doing the actual oh, contest. Oh, I don't want to hear this again. I'm just, this is just a demonstration for Chuck, so Chuck understands what this bit is all about. So typically how we would do this is I would read uh, the champion story, and then I would read the challenging story, and then the audience would vote. Okay. I'm only going to read this one. Now, this was the challenge of the other day. Keep in mind, this story I'm about to read didn't win. In other words, this wasn't... So then we can just throw it away then. This, no, I'm going to put it in the pile of other, you know, other stories. Uh, this was the, because i got to keep them with me at all times. Because if you're ever having a bad day or you say, that's a horrible story, I can say, no, 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 it's nothing like this story. <laughs> these are sort of like, you know, the, these are sort of setting the bar stories so that everything else seems better. Um, so keep in mind, this story was actually, the other story was so much worse, this one didn't win. So here's the losing story. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I give you uh, one of the worst stories in the history of the universe. Sarah? Dateline Houston. A Texas death row inmate with a history of mental problems <laughs> pulled out his only good eye and told authorities he ate it. Andre Thomas, 25, was arrested for the fatal stabbings of his estranged wife and her son. The hearts had also been ripped out. While in Grayson County Jail in Sherman, Thomas plucked out his right eye before his trial in 2004. A judge, subsequ- a judge subsequently ruled he was competent to stand trial. A death row officer at the Polinsky unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice found Thomas in his cell with blood all over his face and took him to the infirmary. Quote, 
Thomas said he pulled out his eye and subsequently ingested it. Agency spokesman Jason Clark said Friday. Thomas was treated at East Texas Medical Center in Tyler after the December 9th incident. He was then transferred to and remains at the, wait for it, Jester Unit, a prison psychiatric facility near Richmond, southwest of Houston. Quote, he'll finally be able to receive the mental health care we had wanted and begged for from day one, said Bobby Cade, his trial attorney. Quote, he's insane and mentally ill. It's exactly the same reason he pulled out the last eye, end quote. At his trial, defense lawyers also argued he suffered from alcohol and drug abuse. He does not have an execution date. Thomas, from Texahoma, walked into the Sherman Police Department and told a dispatcher he had just murdered, quote, some people and stabbed himself in the chest. Thomas told police how he'd put his victim's hearts in his pocket and left the apartment. He then took them home, put them in a plastic bag, and threw them in the trash. Court documents describe the three victims as having, quote, large gaping wounds. It is unclear exactly why Thomas felt compelled to rip out the second eye or ingest it. The end. And there you go. So he's blind now? Yeah, because uh, apparently, I guess, nobody can have just one, Chuck. I well, guess. I understand that, but... Once you pop, you can't stop. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are breaking. I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> I'm just wondering if the folks over at the FCC is going, you know, maybe we should make a house call. No, no, no. You know what? Uh, this is not about, uh, this is not about uh, poo-poo or wee-wee. Yeah, so right. it's completely fine. This story, completely fine with the FCC. Absolutely okay. All right, your tax dollars at work, Chuck. Back after this, the Rick Emerson Show. Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Well, the good news, Sarah, is that means I still have this other mystery story that I can read at some point. Oh, joy. And I never did read the... Uh, now it seems like it's old news. I never did follow up in the How Will Sarah Dillon Probably Die? Thanks, Rick. Do you want to know? Yeah. Shopaholic spinster found dead under three feet of shoes. No way! <laughs> See, that now you, is now you want to hear more, don't you? I do want to hear and more. You gotta wait. You gotta wait. I because... would not be ashamed of that. See, that's a good. See if you gotta go. No, I've opened my closet before because I have a. Um, since I don't have a closet, I keep. Paper McGee, don't open that closet. I have my shoes. My shoes are in my kitchen. <laughs> uh huh. So I have like this big, like crazy full <laughs> of shoes. And you know, sometimes they will like you know because I shove them on there because I have uh, a little bit of OCD when it comes to shoes. Uh huh. Versus... Right here, your future. And they have fallen out on me before. I'm telling you right now. You got. Uh, I have to. Do it. All right. Well, we'll do it. Let's, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome now to the show from Los Angeles. CNN radio correspondent James Roof. Hello, sir. Good afternoon. How are you, my friend? I will never understand the shoes. I, uh, you know, uh, here's the thing. I, I do kind of understand the shoe thing a little bit, and here's why. Because as a as a rock and roll youth, um, 
I went through, I was going to say I went through a phase. I mean, I still I still wear them, but not as many as you used to. You know, uh, Chuck Taylor, you know, those Chuck Taylor All-Stars? Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, even now, uh, as you know, I'm a 35-year-old man, and I own multiple pairs of Chuck Taylors. Uh, I'm not wearing them today, but it depends on the outfit. Uh, but I own, I think I own four different pair of those. I think I have, uh, I have black, off-white, uh, yellow for some reason, and then something else. What, your Chucks? Yeah, like and you red have, like, or the... something. You have the American flag. Ooh, one. and then I have the yeah, the Abby Hoffman model, and the American some, like, flag. Black and you have the gray ones. Yeah, I have the gray ones. So, so yeah, so I got like six pairs of Chuck Taylors. So I have a tiny little window uh, into you know the shoe thing because of that. And then uh, also here's one other story I say uh, that, that I will tell you, keeping in mind that this really has nothing to do with shoes, and I'm wasting everyone's time. But I will say that I bought a pair of uh, dress shoes in Seattle a couple years ago, and they were really quite good. I mean, I don't, again, I don't have a lot of shoes, but I thought it was a really nice pair of dress shoes. But then it wasn't even like two weeks later, and I somehow tore the leather. I tripped or I stumbled or something, and I tore the leather off the toe, and I was really upset about it. And Sarah's like, no, 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 you got to go to this website, Zappos.com, which is this online shoe place. And the great hook of this store, and I'm not, there's not a paid endorsement, the great hook of this online shoe company is that, any shoe at all that you buy there, like, they will deliver to you overnight at no extra charge. Like, it's the free overnight delivery. And so they, I came to work, and they were waiting for me when I got to work the next day. And I realized at that moment that, like, if I was the shoe kind, that is immediately how you could start binging on shoes. You know? You put in the, you click the button, and they're there the next morning. I mean, it's, it could be dangerous. <laughs> that was like the greatest setup to a one-syllable grunting, completely uninterested hey, response. Look, I have four pair of shoes. I have a pair of tennis shoes. I have a pair of running shoes. I have a pair of uh, black and a pair of brown hard shoes. I got to tell you, that was Dress the shoes, whatever you got, whatever you call. Them. I don't know. If that, that was the greatest comedic alley oop right there. When I was doing this whole huge thing, and then you're just like, "Yep, that's, I don't, I don't that's know something." What to say that I'm not. Uh, you know, <laughs> No, I'm putting on shoes is just one more thing I have to do. No, I mean, like, your your response was perfect. That really was great. It was like a little Abbott and Costello thing we just did there. Oh, God. All right. Um, Jesus, we got all of this stuff going on. Uh, one thing. Okay, so obviously, you know, we, this was breaking news. We had this yesterday that uh, Ricardo Montalban has... Uh, how old was he, by the way? There are like nine different stories. 88. 88. Well, I mean, look, you got to go when you got to go. Yeah, it's a good, you know, the good life. He's rich. He's famous. He was rich early, too, so that's good. Is that true? Yeah, well, he, uh, well, was he born in... Uh, born in Mexico City. In, in 1920 or something, right? Yes, yes. Um, in, in the 40s is when he got popular. I know he was so, on an early episode of The Twilight Zone. That's kind of the first thing I remember seeing him in. So I'm thinking in his 30s, he was he was a wealthy man in, in, for those times. Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, you if know, you're so going to be... For 50 years, you know, he's been able to... He's had F you money all over the place. See, you can't... And really, that's all one can ask for in this weird life of ours. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just, uh, you know, if you can avoid... I mean, I was going to say avoid a real job. I mean, acting is a real job. But you know what I mean? If you can avoid a job where you're hauling concrete in a bucket, if you can duck that for, like, you know, the better part of your life, that's one in the win column. And it really is. So, well, good for him. Uh, let's see. What else? I was it real quickly before we end on the Britney Spears thing. So I wanted to ask you about this secondhand smoke lawsuit. And the reason I ask is because there's... You know, with January 1st rolling around, we got this, you know, the smoking ban here that, you know, has been in California for a long time about how there's you know, very few places you can smoke anymore. And this is like the eventual onward progression towards just the eventual banning of cigarettes everywhere. So what what is it? What's the nature of this lawsuit that's happening? Well, this lawsuit was brought really two years ago uh, on behalf of a five-year-old girl with asthma. Her parents uh, sued the owners of the apartment complex in which they're living because she can't go to the pool or the playground without being affected by the secondhand right. smoke. 
Um, the Superior Court judge threw it out. It went to an appellate court. The appellate court reinstated it because the lawyers went for the nuisance angle, that she cannot, as a paying member or her parents paying to use the facilities, she can't enjoy those facilities. Right. So the secondhand smoke is a nuisance, and that is where the court was able to get that reinstated. So they will be able to fight the case. They're looking for damages. They won't tell me how much money, but what they want, too, is some sort of injunction that prohibits or that, that makes managers of apartment complexes liable for secondhand smoke wafting about. They're even talking about thirdhand smoke these days. What is thirdhand smoke? Um, uh, it's a baby crawling on a carpet that has smoke residue on ah, it. You know, you ah, rent a car. Right. It smells like smoke. Well, you know, the thing is, a place where there has been smoking, that's like a that's like a, a place where somebody used to own a cat. There's just no getting rid of that. Oh, yeah. No, I hear you. You've got to burn that place down to the ground. You've got to raise it and then rebuild it. I mean, there's just there's no... Yeah, there's no... There's release, no release a skunk in it so that you don't smell the smoke. Exactly. That's Well, you know, we've, we've actually talked about that, speaking of a, of a skunk to cover the cat and the smoke. That now, because everybody in Oregon is having to adjust to this business of not being able to smoke in bars, you can't smoke in private clubs, you can't smoke in the Moose Lodge, you can't smoke in the VFW. You can't really, basically, you can't smoke anywhere but your own home, your own car. And the thing that you realize is most of these bars just smell like crap, and that the smoke was sort of covering it. I mean, the smoke didn't smell. You realize that most people smell like crap too. That's the other thing. <laughs> Because you go to a dive bar, and there's a bunch of dudes that look like they just came out of a... There's like, like, I like hot and dirty guys, but then if you can tell, they're actually like just filthy. I'm like, no. <laughs> you used to have that nice cloud of smoke. Well, not nice, but, you know, like at least... Oh, I yeah, but smell. it didn't smell like ass, yeah. is your point. I mean, seriously, it's like a whole, you know, look, I love, I love uh, you know, just, just dirty, disgusting, grungy dive bars, as does Sarah. But you realize that either the customers or the staff or a combination of both, it's like they all just came from being jumped into the Gypsy Jokers. And they just smell like just day-old refuse and motor oil and just death and, and ugliness and, and, you know, urine. And the bathrooms in these places are never cleaned all that often. But the cigarette smoke was a nice big... You know what the cigarette smoke was like? It's like they talk about ketchup sometimes. And they say, look, ketchup is not designed to augment the flavor of a meal. Ketchup is designed to cover the flavor of something you don't like, which is why it's insulting to a chef to use it. Ketchup is designed to make everything on the plate taste like ketchup, just like Tabasco. Everything on the plate is supposed to taste like Tabasco because you don't like the actual taste. That's what cigarette smoke was. It was like this carcinogenic Tabasco that was just covering all the other smells in the air. You're absolutely right. Well, in any event. So there you go. Um, so the, the final thing here today, and I told Sarah that I was... I've often thought that because we do seem to have a, such a... We do seem to be so plugged into the pop culture, sometimes even before these things unfold... I've said that I really, in another life, should be an A&R guy. Because an A&R guy, uh, who's an artist in repertoire, an A&R guy is a guy who sort of shepherds along the career of a band from the record company's perspective. In other words, he's not the manager, and he's not the guy like booking you to play Cobo Hall or something. The A&R guy is the liaison between the band and the record company. And, yes. and the A&R guy, one of their jobs is to sit down, and as the band is recording the record, listen to it and say... Now, which of these songs have really strong hooks and might get played on the radio? And it has always been a kind of a point of pride with me that I can kind of, I have a good sense listening to a record the first time, what's going to eventually end up as a single uh, and what isn't. And I have to tell you, the, the I heard an advanced copy of this Britney Spears album before it had come out, and I came in the next day, and I was telling everybody, that I, call, I think I actually called Sarah at home, I'm like, I heard the greatest Britney Spears song. 
Because, you know, even if you go with the fact that Britney Spears herself has, like, no input on this. I mean, she's not really, you know, she's not writing these. She's not probably singing most of it. I mean, you know, it's just a team of producers. But they're still really well done pop songs, and that's a thing I admire. And I called Sarah, and I'm like, I'm like there is this song, uh, the title of which I can't say on the air. So there is this song that is called Blomp Blom Seek Amy. And I said, this is the song everybody is going to talk about. This is the song that is the sleeper hit. Everybody is going to get all the buzz. And that was however long ago, and sure enough, last night, last night I saw it on MTV News. Today there was something in the Washington Post, and now... Uh, I did it. I did something on it yesterday. CNN's Jim Roop uh, is talking about it. So, uh, again, we can't use the title of the song on the air, but uh, why don't you tell the people, Jim, exactly uh, what's going on with the controversy around this recording? Well, it, it spells out a profanity. It spells out the F word. But that's not the first time that's happened. April Wine has a song Dude, that did the same thing. I'm so glad you you made that reference. I thought I was the only one who remembered no, I, that. I can't believe everybody's making a big deal out of it. And when I said something to Atlanta, they said, well, just do this. Oh, okay. Right. And there was an April Wine song. April did I Wine. the title of that? No, 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 no. That's the biggest no on earth. No, that's a no with a capital N. Uh, that's a hella no, as the kids would say. Well, is here's it really the, that bad? Well, here's well, I'll tell you. And this is such a weird conversation because I don't think it's. I don't think. I I don't think it's bad. See, and I and I can tell Rick's you. Rick's kind of gun shy when it comes to this stuff. I, and Sarah will tell you that I'm way more cautious than probably most guys, and way more cautious than most radio shows. And I've just gotten that way over the years. Just I've gotten very. I always err way on the side of caution. Before I get to the sort of punchline, uh, I'll tell I'll tell you that uh, I, as an AOR jock, as a rock jock, I used to have to play that April Wine song. I mean, it was part of our playlist. The April Wine song, uh, the title of the song is... Something, something, CK. Yeah, it's like uh, there's a woman named Kay, yeah. and it's like if you were to see her. Okay. Um, and it was like, if Kay, tell mm -hmm. her I said hello. Yes, that's all. Okay. And, you know, that's pretty legitimately clever, for especially for Canadians. I mean, that was, you know, <laughs> that's pretty... <laughs> it's so clever that Max Martin stole it. And here's that's the... the first song I can remember that... A radio station could not edit to play on the air. Right, because there's nothing you can do. You can't edit around it because there's no because you get rid of the whole hook. And so this and even editing the Britney one, like you can't hear the hook. And I have uh, and yeah, so I've heard the the radio edit of this Britney song. And the weird thing about it is, and it's track number six on the new Britney Spears record, and it 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 is uh, blank blank seek Amy. It, the radio edit actually makes it sound so much dirtier. Because the radio edit makes it sound like she literally is just spelling out the F word. Yeah. I mean, it's, it makes it much more explicit. So, what is it? So, is anybody? I mean, what is, is this? Is anybody actually playing it, or is they? I mean, is there? Has anybody played it and then gotten no, into trouble? Nobody's, nobody's playing it. Um, if they are, they're doing like MTV does and just hitting the bleep button. Right. You hear the bleep. I mean, that's that's what I used in the pieces I I did yesterday. Um, you play it up to that, and all you hear is bleep, and then you go on with the rest of the song. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. But, I mean, you can just get the album, get it yourself. It's not going to stop her. In fact, this is going to increase sales for that, probably. Um, so, uh, you know, you, you wonder why people would produce a song that can't get airplay. Well, because of things like this. It's going to sell the album. Exactly. And you see, know? I have to say that I really do admire, I have this weird sort of Malcolm McLaren part of me that does admire really callow, obvious, manipulative tactics to get attention for things. And this is that. I mean, and it's sort of gratifying to see that as many as many things that have changed in the record industry, it's still really easy just to manipulate parents 
and like a tight-ass government into being upset about something, upset enough that we are now talking about it on the air. <laughs> I mean, you know, I kind of admire that because you know You're what? Absolutely right, man. Especially now, I mean, I'm you know boohoo for Britney Spears because she's a billionaire or whatever, but I mean, it's a tricky world for for record companies right now trying to get attention and airplay in a world where everything is sort of fragmented. So you know, fact that this Max Martin guy, the songwriter, that he can just sort of crank out this song that, and if you look at the lyrics of the song. It's like such a stretch to even make this happen. Like, it's not even, a, I mean, it's not even a, like a linguistically correct sentence. Like, it's such a mouthful yeah. to try to make this alleged profanity, you know, be spelled out. But I mean, but you do, you know, I do admire the fact that he's managed to, that he's managed to whip everybody with a frenzy in 2009 with, you know, with the F word. Would you think as a society we would just be passed at this point? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, don't ask me I mean, why that is, but it, it is, and that's the mother of all words. And yeah, you, you know, that's the one I don't think we'll ever be able to use. Well, and let's not forget the let's not forget the c word. That's a, oh, that's true. Because that's the one that'll get you punched. That's, that's the, the grandma. The thing. Yeah, oh. the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the <laughs> well done, especially if it's my grandma. Yeah. Bam. Uh, no, that's the one that'll get you need right in the junk. Yeah, you well, say it at the wrong, uh, yeah. the wrong time. But you know so. what? You, you made an interesting point too that it's tough for radio. Uh, I mean, for uh, record companies these days, and it's got to be even tougher for, for Britney Spears's record company taking another chance on her. Totally. After she was, you know, so far deep in the barrel just a few months ago, and the fact that a songwriter would would allow her to to take a song, and if you listen to it, as electronic as it sounds. And it's not so much like Britney Spears as the sounds in many parts of it. It's a pretty damn good song. It is. No, it's I, as soon as I heard it, and I, I have to admit that I like a Britney Spears song. But hey, you know what? Here's the thing. I, I like Womanizer too. I. God bless you, Jim Roop. I'm glad you said that because you know what? We, the instant that uh, the Womanizer, which is the lead single off the new Britney record, when it came out, we were like, this is the best song ever. I mean, we were really big fans of it because. I do as much as I grew up as like a rock guy and you know whatever and you know that I and even now I kind of hewed more towards the rock side of things. I really do admire well-crafted pop songs. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to do, especially when you know it's not like in you know it's not like in the freaking like Inagata Davida days where you know everybody was so high you could just make this 40-minute song and as long as it was interesting somewhere, like the whole thing, like as long as there was part of the song that was okay, everybody would just buy the whole thing. You know, Pop, you got like three minutes, and really less than that, because you got through the first hook to get their attention. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it. You got like, what do they used to say? Don't bore us, get to the chorus. <laughs> I mean, you got like 30 seconds to make them go like, that's a great song, especially with um, with online music. So you go to like iTunes, where, you know, before you buy it, you hear the free 30-second sample or whatever. I mean, you got you basically got one try with that chorus to get kids, in this case, to buy a song. And... uh so they've done a pretty good job with that. So. Yeah, I even I told my wife I said you should you got to get this album and put it on your iPod. It's a, you know it's some good songs. Have you seen the video for Womanizer? Oh yes, sir. <laughs> I've I've seen the uncut version. Really? I've seen the uh, what, what you call the edit. The director. Where did where did you see the uncut version? Uh, somebody sent it to me. I don't even know if I have it anymore because it took up so much space. I'm just saying he let Rick Emerson wet his beak. That's uh, all I. Uh... It, still have, it took up a lot. Of, it took forever to load, so I, I think I might have dumped it because all I have. Is oh yeah, laptop. right. I'm sure. Like like you don't know exactly where it. Like it's not. No, a, I honestly honestly did. It's certainly not in this password protected file I have at home. Um, this is a work computer, I might add. Of course, so I know that you uh, you respect all of Turner Broadcasting's. As you, uh, yeah, as you no. that's right. Absolutely. Well no, of course. You, know, you are an, you are a professional. You're the gold standard for Don't that. Don't make Jim. me spell it. No, no, no. <laughs> all right. Well, if you find that, you just uh, you hook a brother up.
That's all I'm saying. I, so. I will, and I can always email the guy who sent it to me. Too. That'd be great. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just, you know, for our, t- you know, just, just to be informed as a broadcaster, I'd like to be able to see the uh, the uncut version of that video, just, just so I can speak knowledgeably about the story. As you're watching, you go, oops. Exactly. There you go. All right, my friend. Uh, will you be working tomorrow, Jim Roop? No, actually, I am not working tomorrow. Well, I'm glad I asked, because now I can say, enjoy your weekend, sir. We will and have Sarah a... Sarah gets a different answer. That's what I'm saying. Wait, what? <laughs> what? But the, she, you always, she says you always ask the same question. Are yeah. you working? I always say yes. And see, and this is why this I asked. I said no. Because now I can say... It was a magical thing that just happened. We, we, it's the last weekend of our next... Play. You know, we did the Odd Couple last year. We're doing Arsenic and Old Lace this year. I didn't know. See, you never tell. Well, look, you don't write. You don't call. You don't tell me anything. Uh, you know. So you uh, you were in uh, the Odd Couple last year with, and I forget the guy's name, Daniel. Daniel yeah, yeah, and he, uh, uh, who's a great actor, his own self. And then you are now doing Arsenic and Old Lace. And with, I would ask who you played, but I've never, and see, and I've never actually even seen the movie because I suck. I'm a bad American. I've never seen it. So that's uh, uh, a pretty funny play. Well, well, uh, break a leg, sir. It's a dark comedy. You'd like it. Well, you know, because it's what? It's old women who are poisoning guys? Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, there you go. So, I mean, you know, that is the... And that came out like 60 years ago, right? Yeah, Boris Karloff uh, uh, was uh, the original villain in it. I I mean, I kind of dig stuff that is actually so old and yet so dark, you kind of wonder how it was ever released. I sort of, you know, things like that. Yeah, you know, you're right. When you think about it, you go, wow, how how did they get away with this? Oh, man. there's. I mean, there's all kinds of movies you watch... You watch even now, and you go, like, how is it that they ever put this? I'm like, how could they really? You know what I was thinking about the other day, speaking of uh, songs and controversy? I was, uh, I was, I'm reading this great John Lennon biography by Philip Norman. And it's like, it's like, a, it, literally, it's like 900 pages long. So I'm working my way through it very slowly. But it's very good. But, uh, but John Lennon is talking about, he's being interviewed, and he's talking about uh, one of the great, you know, how he loved Elvis. And he was a huge Elvis fan. But how... There was this moment of choice in Lennon's life where he heard Good Golly Miss Molly by Little Richard, and he said that they were all such big Elvis fans. He's like, he said, you know, at the time, you didn't even want to think in your head, this is better than Elvis, because it felt like you were betraying him. It's like, you didn't, you, you know, Elvis was so great. He's like, you didn't even want to think, ooh, this is better than Elvis, because then it felt like it was a heresy. Like, you didn't, you know, you certainly didn't want to tell anybody it was better than Elvis, because you felt like you were, you know, you felt like you were sort of being, being untrue. But I was listening to Good Golly Miss Molly, and he talks about this scream right before the chorus. And even now, it just makes your hair stand on end. When you hear Little Richard, this scream, and you think about Good Golly Miss Molly, which is still played on, like, every oldie station on the planet, and you think, how on earth did that get, did that get played on the radio, like, 55 years ago? Good Golly Miss Molly sure likes to bawl. I mean, for the love of God. And I don't believe she's referring to, like, foosball there either. You I know? think it was dancing, ballroom dancing. Maybe. Yeah. You know? And I mean, you, and especially when Little Richard says, where everything Little Richard says just comes across as that weird combination of, like, evil and great and religious and sexual all at once. So, I mean, it's just the, the weird world we live in, Jim Roop. If you're, if you're lucky to be an artist on, in a transition, in a, tra- in a period of transition, you can get away with a lot more than once that... That particular art form is established. It is true. It and is I true. I think that's why some of those songs, you know, and some of those movies in, in that transition. I mean, look at some of the great Hitchcock stuff. There's, there's, it's not entendre, man. I mean, it's, it's blatant. Oh, it's right there. I mean, yeah. it's right there on the, it's right there on the surface. You know, uh, some other movies like that. You know, you see like, uh, like even whatever happened to Baby Jane, which is just more flat out, just weird, like psychological, you know, creepiness than anything else. And Sunset Boulevard, some of those movies where it's just. 
I mean, really, just there was nothing between the lines, but it was all right there in the service. Yeah. So, well, right. even some of the even some of the scenes I'm supposed to have with this with my so-called fiance in this play, we had to tone down quite a bit. Really? Oh yeah. That's interesting. Oh, I mean, absolutely. for something that was like 50 years, however, however old Arsenic and Old Lace is. Yeah, but man, I mean, there was some, you know, when we were reading the thing before we started putting it on his feet, it was like, wait a minute, my wife's going to kill me. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good performance of Break a Leg, and uh, we will speak with you sometime next thank week. Thank you, boss. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, guys, Jim Roof, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Hello, Chuck Knopf. How are you? I am excellent right now, right. Um, and you would like me to do Are it. you excellent? Truly? Actually, yeah. I'm, I don't think I've ever been better when it comes to just all facets. I think Chuck is telling the truth. He's a very genuine man. Do you mean in your life uh, as a whole or yeah. as, as, as part of your performance on today's program? You've reached a, a good place in your life. Yeah. Uh, my my life as homeostasis, as they call it, it's a balance. And that's, I can say, my personal life, my professional life, hanging out here with you, which I don't think is, to me, it's not professional. This is This is something that I did for a long time, and I never ever looked at it as a job or something I had to do. It was like, I get to get up, and I get to go to work, and who knows what's going to happen, just like today with this plane crash. It's you true. don't know. And you I don't. Know. I didn't know I was going to hear this story about a guy eating his eyeball. <laughs> those kind of things, are. Those, that's the spice of this life, because, you know, if, you, if, it's, if it's planned and if you, you, you want everything predictable, forget it. Your it life is, is uh, boring. So I am sort of the, uh, so I'm the sort of... Uh, Revolting and oftentimes off-putting, if strangely compelling, Monty Hall. Could be. Here. You're and also so, the salt shaker, too. You're adding a little bit of depth and breadth to it. I like to think of myself as being more of a, uh, what's a funny spice? I don't know, but I was going back to the whole dander thing. I'm like, how can I make fun of the a salt shaker? That's going to tie it back Oh, by the way, so. somebody, uh, I got somebody else who said, um, is it, I was talking about how I got, you know, during winter, I get the dry, you know, dry hands, dry skin. I was listening skin. this morning, and I heard that, and, yeah. yes, My I, elbows get really dry. See, and so your head is like an elbow. Know, it's just on top of your you brain. Dirty. Well, look, I don't, I mean, look, nobody wants, nobody, I can't wait to have dry skin. I mean, nobody <laughs> wants it, which is why you put on, you go upstairs next to my, uh, next to my, uh, my phone upstairs, huge thing of that, like Trader Joe's scentless hand lotion, because again, my hands get really dry, my knuckles get dry, but this winter, I do have, like, a little bit of dry scalp, and so I'm like, well, you know, I want to get rid of that. So I have the dandruff shampoo that does... The best part is how would you said that in huge letters. Like, this product is known to cause cancer. Yeah. And somebody said, um, somebody said, go home and check the ingredients list because the active ingredient, Rick, is probably coal tar. Which sounds like the name of an alien who comes here bent on enslaving the human race. Yeah, because didn't they used to have a shampoo that was like tar? I remember it was like something about tar and it was for dandruff. That doesn't seem like a thing they allow you to put in products now. Coal tar. Kneel before coal tar. But tar is human. Tar is an ingredient in cigarettes, cigars. I guess. Less, I, so less tar, more taste. So I have to go home with that. I have to go home and read the label. I'm gonna have to teach you how to smoke. And then use it anyway. Because who am I kidding? I mean, really, if it's you know what it is, if it's you know what no, it is. I, I know you, and you've already committed. You've already bought it, so you're just gonna use it. Oh no! I mean, look, if it's a if it's flake-free hair now uh, and cancer later, that's fine. That's a fair trade-off to me. Doesn't matter. Immediate gratification. No, that's what I'm saying. You know, as, as my my wife was, and I think she was trying to be sort of flip about it. And she goes, she goes, well, you'll be flake free in your casket. And but it, like I just went, yes, that's exactly right, honey. <laughs> You've nailed it. Vanity, thy name is me. Let's take a break. Back after this, more news with Chuck Knopf, and we'll talk to our good friend Dennis Pitsenbarger as well. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. 503 733 
888-729-7370. Coming up at 3, Tom Likas, uh, Likas 101.5, Michael Mara Show at 7. And don't forget, the Phil Hendry Show has returned to AM 970. Uh, weeknights, 11 p.m. So uh, tonight, Tom Likas, Michael Mara, and then at 11 o'clock, uh, Phil Hendry. Just a moment, we'll be joined by our friend uh, Dennis Pitsenbarger, host of Miles Around, 9 to uh, noon on Saturdays on this very fine radio station, and host of Miles Around TV on the Comcast uh, Sports Network, 1.9 million households. I always get it two. wrong. Something. Fjord. Uh, Chuck Duff. Yes. So, Chuck Duff, and so we, we, this is the second time you've been here, and you sound fantastic, by the way. Thanks, thanks. Uh, so, yes, and we're just so grateful that you came on, and, like, this is so perfect for your day. Like, this was meant to be. Exactly, because the because the plane story, which uh, you and I'm not just uh, I'm not not just uh, waxing your your car here, but What's I mean that you uh, you know you you're funny and you have the great give and take, and then as soon as the plane thing happens, you do that great thing of just switching into pro mode, which is you know which I, I think at this point I think at this point is second nature for you because again you are you know you are uh, you know a great broadcaster, but I think a lot of people don't. It's a, it's a difficult thing to master, that where you throw the switch in your head from jokey to professional and then yeah. sometimes back and then back again. Yeah. So, yeah, playing both sides of the fence here. But, but so we were having this conversation during the break, and, of course, we used to work with Chuck next door at Fisher Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then was it there that the incident with Bob Brooks happened? No, it was at... <clears throat> was it at Intercom? K- no, it was at KYXI. KYXI. When I was... A child still. I, I I think it was 23 or 24 at the time. And I was doing weekend news, and Bob Brooks was playing the music. And Bob Brooks, by the way, uh, radio broadcaster, voice talent, the voice of the Solo Flex commercials. Yeah. I am desperately trying to find you. I've heard, you you heard him. Yeah, you know he's, you know, Solo Flex, yeah, the yeah. way to achieve greatness or whatever. He's got a big, round voice. He's got one of those voices. I'm going to say face. You, <laughs> well, he does, too. Okay. Yeah, that too. He's got a huge, throbbing voice. Uh, but you hear his voice everywhere. But he's a you know legendary talent. But okay, so you're there working with Bob Brooks. Yeah, I think it's it's like one o'clock in the afternoon. So it's my second newscast. My first one is at noon. My right. second one, and I'm sitting there, um, into the first story. And there's two studios. One where he plays the music, and right. one where I do the news from. And he walks in behind me, and I didn't realize it until I saw a lighter. And the lighter is lit, and he's trying to light my news on fire. Okay, and I'm thinking. As I'm speaking, I'm thinking this guy's trying to light my news on fire, but at the same time, I have to keep composure so that people who are listening don't realize that there's a pyromaniac trying sure. to, to ignition on everything. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm holding my news, and I'm holding it up, and I'm, he's chasing me with his hand, and I'm turning this way, and I'm turning that way, and, he's, and finally he catches it on fire. And it starts to burn, and I'm I'm waving it like this, so uh, like this, you know, I'm, I'm waving it to to douse. Meanwhile, you know, the congressman going, said, and I'm trying to find a uh, a news story that's not on fire, and and you know he's he's got the whole thing, the whole thing's lit, and I'm going, okay, I I to myself, I'm going, I quit. Weather forecast: We're calling for sunshine today and a high near 72. That's the news. I'm Chuck Knopf, and he's still standing in the newsroom, which means he's got to sprint. Back to the other room ah, to start the music. Yeah, and he's almost dead, out of breath. We turn the tables. I thought, you know, if you want to play, okay, dude. Excellent. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Chuck. Now that's a great story. <laughs> God, my friend, Chuck Knopf, ladies and gentlemen. Radio's amazing. It was a simpler time. <laughs> it, it really was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's uh, welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show our good friend Dennis Pitsenbarger, host of Miles Round. Hello, sir. How do I follow that? I mean, that, you can't. I, I have to say, just, just do the weather. We do the weather, <laughs> do the weather and leave. I, yeah. have, I, have, I have no no idea how to do the weather, but I will tell you this: you would fit right in at Miles Round because we are constantly trying to light things on. Oh no, wait, no. I mean, uh, lighten up or light it on. Uh, I, uh, well, uh, no. 
light, I don't know anything about light things on fire in the studio. But no, that's that's uh, you said twenty three sure, years. Program director, let's hear yeah. that. I have so much. No, I was twenty three years old. <laughs> oh, you were twenty three years old. I was old. a child. Okay, well, I Dennis was... is still a child in here. Oh, I, I see. Well, that's very true. I am uh, inside, uh, not very mature, as they hey, would say. I wanted to ask you this, Ricardo Montalban. He he passed, of course. Ridge Corinthian leather, made up or not? I uh, heard two different things. That it's the people of Corinth. And then I also heard, which is a real place, and then I heard, no, it's like made in New Jersey. Uh, I would have to say that in, in my own respect to him, I want to say something positive, but really it was just, I mean, come on, this is mid-70s Chrysler marketing. I mean, it was, there's no such thing. I mean, I, that is that is the, my acknowledgement of how that argument goes from one side to the other. I, I do not, uh, I do not, I guess, uh, I don't know. I don't know what the word I'm searching for is. I, is I, do, it not, a verb? I do not. Sir, I do not. I do not. I, would, I have never felt. Thank you. Two syllables. I can't. Yeah. Um, Vanna, I need a vowel. Yeah, I do badly. I have never uh, felt, seen, or actually uh, had any interaction with rich Corinthian leather. I mean, it's so. It's, so it's like a. Uh, it is just a trademark name they gave to a type of leather. Yeah, I mean, if you think of that guy when that when that was in his era of career, I mean, right. he was hot. I mean, the guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, and if you look back at the stuff he did way back before the commercials, and he got campy and Fantasy Island. I mean, the guy was. I mean, he was a stud. You got to give him some credit for back in the day. Oh, even if no, if you look at him as Khan in the original series. He's, I mean, that's an attractive man. Yeah. That's I mean, a man, he smolders. He, well, he was just, he had that whole, like, you know, he just had that, you're, you know, I mean, whatever you would call it, just, I guess, I don't know how to say I it. have come to have sex with your wife. Yes. <laughs> you will let me do this, and because you know I am Ricardo Montalban. You say, of course. Yeah, the, the, sure. <laughs> well, I'll be back with an hour, be enough. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, you agree with that being totally. okay. Yeah. Exactly. It's just, you know, it was sad. You see guys like that. We actually, we put it up on the Miles Around blog. I put the little video. I actually found the original commercial with him on it when he sang it. And I did have a kick last night. Of course, it was after a couple of bottles of wine. I was sitting there replaying just that little part where he says it in the commercial. Does he sell it, though? Does he really, like, does oh, he make you believe? He, he's sitting there with this, probably one of the worst cars Chrysler's ever built in their existence. And he's like, you know what really makes me feel good? It's the way that the Chrysler, it feels on the road. And he's just like, you know, it's like I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that thing is a heap of you know what. I mean, it just it it he he sells that Chrysler that like it is the pure gold that he intended well, it to be. You know what? That's uh, that's why he's Ricardo Montalban, and I'm I'm some guy you know that <laughs> I, most yeah. people have never heard of. Well, ever. no, I mean, it's, well, I mean, come <laughs> I on, mean, that's it. You know, that's the difference. If you're some guy nobody's heard of, imagine being the guy like six steps below that. Welcome to miles around. I mean, it's just, <laughs> oh, you know, oh you. No, I mean, it's, it's oh you're making him blush. Oh stop, Rick. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, should we, Sarah, should we do Let's this? Let's have this last break, and then we'll have a few we'll Come back, we'll find out what's happening on this weekend's program, apart from the uh, rich Corinthian, uh, you know, tones of Dennis Pitsenbarger. All right. Back after this. Don't go anywhere. It is the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It ain't much All right, we now enter the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson Radio Program. And you know what I realized? Just like we all misquote the Life Cereal commercial, we we all misquote the Chrysler thing, because it's not rich Corinthian leather, it's soft Corinthian leather. Why do we all say rich Corinthian leather? I, I think it's just the parodies have been done over and over and over. And with Anchorman, over. like rich mahogany, maybe. Oh, uh, and we, yes, yeah. we all learned from, okay, yeah, no, that's a totally, we learned from, you know, Ron Burgundy and other parodies. The, the Anchorman, uh, yeah, really yeah. things like that have ruined a lot of those, but it's the way that everybody endorses it and makes it yeah. their own. Now well, what can you do? Uh, so let's just, uh, in no particular order here, Chuck Knopf, thank you for uh, joining us. You sounded fantastic. You really Thanks. did, my friend. Thanks, Thanks. Well It was done. fun to be with you two. You're knuckleheads. You know? <laughs> a 
Okay. Oh, and that's an endearment. Okay. okay uh-huh. You're gonna come give us noogies now? What? Oh, you kids. <laughs> uh, so what the what what what's what what is up? What's the deal? Where can can where can people contact you well, if, if people wanna... just want to send you twenty dollar bills? Oh, oh, C- or whatever. You see, K twenty three at Hotmail. I right. do accept American, a Canadian, and a Mexican. There you go. As well. C-E-K-23 yes. at Hotmail.com. Be there. All right, excellent. Uh, Dennis Pitsenbarger, miles around this weekend. Well, we will uh, continue the hijinks, I guess I said, and G. Willikers. What will be, uh, obviously, a topic of, of discussion will be the re, uh, multiple on death, unfortunately. And uh, we uh, the usual uh, three hours of shenanigans that have to do with automotive industry stuff. We're going to talk a little bit more about that gas mileage tax that they're talking about. Also, um, we are very happy, and I got this from Mr. Green, so thank you for coming and giving me the note. We will finally get the stream thing worked out, so if you want to listen on the computer or the World Wide Web, you can uh, stream us live at AM. I like you said, the computer or the World Wide Web. Or the World Wide Web. Like if you wanted things? to listen to it through your toaster. Uh, well, it depends on, I guess, how well you can wire it up together. All right. <laughs> you know what we failed to do? Hmm. We failed to do when we did to fail uh, the George W. Bush farewell speech drinking game. Oh, yeah. Because of the plane crash. That's really the tragedy in all of this. Aren't you really just like everyone else and just trying to close your eyes until it's over? Dude, no. I I went online and programmed my TiVo from here. Oh, God. I have Like an hour and a half ago, I was like, TiVo.com, schedule. You guys have been making fun of me for years and years how I've gone from, like, completely right-sided all the way to the left and and, and giving me a hard time. And the the bottom line is this. I'm closing my eyes until it's over just so it can be over. This is the last chance we'll have to laugh. I hope the next president is high on every drug there is and doing things with cigars that none of us should do so we can get back to having a good economy i'm tired of all this do you mean barack obama i'm i don't care what he does i don't you care know that's the next president. you know that's the next president <laughs> i know and i, I <laughs> thank you all right I'm just hoping. dennis pitts and you don't talk to you me. can catch three hours of this on saturday <laughs> miles around ladies and gentlemen saturday nine to noon here and also on comcast uh, the comcast sports network chuck knopf thank you again for coming in you're welcome c-e-k 23 at hotmail.com rick emerson show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented sarah still for am 9 the talker the Newsroom, Chuck Knopf on the phones, Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave's in, webmistress, Bridget from upstairs, and of course, CBS Radio, Portland marketing guru, Susan, don't F with me, Reynolds. Uh, like us next, like us 101 at 5, Michael Maris show at 7, Phil Hendry tonight at 11 p.m. Uh, we will see you all tomorrow. We also want to thank Cena Radio correspondent, uh, Lisa Desjardins, uh, joining us, and uh, so forth. Join us tomorrow when I guess we'll include uh, Lisa Hughes, who has graced many a television here in the Portland metro area, as well as Scott Daly. Don't go anywhere. Like us is next. See you all tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Bye. On the thickly cushioned luxury of seats available even in soft Corinthian leather. <laughs>